the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Tuesday, December 12th, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 299. Make sure to subscribe to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree that will take the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and Truth Social. Buckle up, everybody, because we've got a big Tuesday edition of the show today. I'm Roan Noah's here. Yo. As always, we've got a great slate of guests coming in here. We're going to have Congressman Andy Eagles and Matt Rosendale joining us. We'll catch up with retired U.S. Army Colonel Douglas McGregor and the official spokeswoman for Make America Great Again, Inc. Caroline Levitt will be here, and we'll do a little bit of the news with the former chief of staff of Capitol Hill, Mr. Jim Paff. Lots of breaking news. We'll play a little Capitol Hill roundup. Donald Trump was up in New York City this weekend for the New York Young Republican Club Gala, and we've got all the highlights. And we'll do a little bit of 2024 presidential primary roundup as well. But before we get to any of the headlines, let's take it up to Capitol Hill and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not NOM. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by. All right, everybody, welcome to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. I'm Roan Noah's here. Yo. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back to America's fastest-growing political podcast. We're getting things started today up on Capitol Hill with one of our favorites. He represents Tennessee Five. Welcome back again to Representative Andy Ogles. Thanks for coming back to the show. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, you guys are running into the holiday break, and it's not like you guys aren't doing a ton of work. We were looking to touch on you and getting things started with, uh, if you could provide us with a little commentary on the latest on discussions for working out the NDAA and its 702-related material. I know that's been a couple of big battles up on Capitol Hill right now, definitely engulfing a lot of the mainstream media, but we'd like to hear from the source and uh, what you guys are working on. Well, I have a lot of concerns about the you know FISA and the NDAA. I mean, I really think FISA should be standalone, and when you tuck it into an authorization bill, but which, by the way, is being done on suspension, so it totally is against our rules. Sure. Um, it, not to get into weeds, but it, but it – it's basically a hostile action on the on the part of leadership to kind of force it through this way. But that being said, when you look at some of the NDA or the FISA rather uh, proposals on the table, it really expands the scope of FISA uh, where they would be monitoring, say, open um, uh, networks. So you go to McDonald's and you're using the Wi-Fi there that that suddenly you might be subject to being uh, have, having your communications looked at by simply because of someone else in the restaurant. You go to the airport, you, uh, you've not connected to the Wi-Fi, but your Wi-Fi is on. And so by default, it pings to say, hey, I'm here. Do you want to connect? This suddenly because you've walked through the airport that you might be subject to uh, having your information Search. And so we have Fourth Amendment for a reason in this country. Um, you know, some, you know, if you try to levy the argument that they're using with FISA to say, well, look, you know, if we if we don't approve FISA, it's going to be harder to catch the bad guys. Well, you could use the same argument with the Fourth Amendment. Sure. And, and sure, there are times when the Fourth Amendment, your right to privacy uh, impacts investigations. Right. But we have it for a reason. This is not, uh, you know, the Nazi state of America where people are asking you to see your papers, where they're rifling through your home, that they're just opening opening up your car without probable cause. And so 
we're moving towards this kind of police and military state if we're not careful in the name of terrorism and Israel and all the other stuff. And so uh, I just would give caution to anyone who just kind of jumps off the bridge and, and votes to, 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 you know, extend 702. And here's the thing. I, I do think constitutionally we as a nation need to get back to at least examining the way things was pre 9-11 and the Patriot Act and stuff like that, Congressman. And, and the deal is, you know, the United States of America and within its borders is not crossing an international one. You're not coming in on flights. You're not driving in from Mexico to Canada. The circumvention of the Fourth Amendment and this warrantless search or seizure has just seemed to be something that our you know, uh, law enforcement and Department of Justice have gotten really comfortable with and are fighting to the death, basically, to make sure that it stays. How dangerous is it for America to, to finally wake up and realize if, if you guys don't take a stand on this and make this one of the hills that you guys are willing to die on as far as, you know, protecting the rights and civil liberties of American people, this is sending us down a slope that's even worse than we've seen with all the stuff heading up through the last election cycle and everything since Joe Biden's taken office. Well, you know, and you look at some of the queries that were made kind of under this provision of, you know, Black Lives Matter, members of Congress and those sorts of things. So it's not like it's being used just to hit, you know, catch some some guy with the last name Muhammad who's, you know, potentially trying to bomb our country or, or some nefarious cartel member that they're trying to figure out have they moved into the nation and do they have operations in Houston or something like this, that they literally were spying on you know, average day Joes. Uh, and elected officials who might be deemed otherwise kind of hostile to the FBI's police state. And so this is problematic. We've got to push back. We've got to fight back. And look, you know, if someone's on a terror watch list or uh, suspected of terrorism, you can get a warrant for that, right? You know, it, it's rather easy to get a warrant in this country. Yeah, all you have to show is reasonable, probable cause. And so this idea that they need this to work around the ju judicial system, no, wait a minute. I think we would all agree that we have a two-tier justice system already in this yeah. country. The last thing I want to do is to further weaponize it and codify it for another two years. And so um, this is one of those situations. And the other thing, too, in, in the questions and the back and forth we've had with, you know, the Intel uh, you know, committee is like, is there a specific instance that you can point to that had you not had this ability that somehow – there would have been a catastrophic uh, attack on the United States of America. And they can't point to that moment in time where they said we had to have it in this moment. Rather, well, we need it just in case. Well, guess what? I need my rights. I need my liberty. I need my freedom. And I need a country that's not looking under under my bed sheet just because uh, I'm a conservative Republican. Yeah, that's the truth right there. And you want to talk about something that parlays right into it. You know, you heard Chuck Schumer just the other day and ahead of uh, Vladimir Zelensky's visit to the nation's capital to beg for more money, you know, kind of put a very pointed uh, speaking event up on the Senate floor. He pointed, you know, comments at Speaker Mike Johnson, citing his youth and experience in the overall game of wielding the speaker's gavel. And then every couple sentences, he parlayed that into tying it into Trump-era border policies, which, you know, Chuck Schumer says is, is a non-starter for him. We've all seen it. It's worse than it is ever before, Congressman. It's worse than just a few weeks ago than when you've been on the show. We've broken numbers in almost every single day for the last week straight. You've got it so bad that ports of entry, legal ports of entry, are shutting down now so they could facilitate this invasion into the country full of illegals. You know, heading into the holiday season, I think besides the economy, the border is the number one issue for all Americans and how it's affecting every major city and neighborhood in the United States. I know House Republicans really want to push, you know, the, most of the components that were in H.R. 2 to get back to those, you know, Trump era policies. But the fact of the matter is you guys are in for one hell of a fight on this. What's the latest? Well, you know, I, 
I, I want to be clear, you know, the, the, the war with Russia and Ukraine, I'm rather agnostic on it as far as, you know, I can make an argument for it, I can make an argument against it. But what we haven't seen articulated fully is what, what might peace look like, what's our ex- exit strategy. And when you really want to get kind of into global politics and, and get in the weeds on it, there is some risk of allowing Russia to win, quote unquote. So again, but what, what's the United States role in it? Sure. And, you know, for, for me, the starting point is before I worry about another nation's border, we need to be focused on our own. Let's do that first. I mean, I always give the example. We have a small farm. Uh, I've got an old tractor. Uh, I'd like a new tractor. Uh, they're rather expensive. But if my roof is leaking and I want a new tractor, I should probably take care of the, the home first. I should probably fix that roof, right? And, and the same thing with the southern border. We've, we've, got, we've got a leak, and it's leaking like a sieve, and we're being flooded through our southern border. We should probably plug that leak. Now, after that, if you want to have a conversation about Ukraine, I'm open to having that conversation. Maybe some benefit for stopping uh, you know, Putin in his tracks and preventing him from moving forward. Iran is watching. China's watching. I get all of that. But it doesn't change the fact that we have priorities at home. And so that's kind of where I'm at on, uh, you know, you know, the border in Ukraine. And, and my heart goes out to the Ukrainians, but I have a border here at home. We have kids in our community that are overdosing on fentanyl. The cost of illegal immigration is costing the state of Tennessee, my home state, almost a billion dollars a year. You, you multiply that uh, that out across the United States of America. You're talking about billions and billions of dollars that otherwise should be going to educate our children, going into our health care, going towards our veterans. Meanwhile, it's not because of this inept president who I think truly, uh, I don't know if he just hates America or if he's trying to hold on to power. And this is some sort of you know convoluted way of building cons- a voting constituency. But we've got a problem and the southern border should be the number one conversation we're having every day as uh, the House of Representatives, nothing else should be coming up except for our border. And until we have that conversation and we have a- absolute solutions with metrics, Ukraine's off the table for me. No, we loved it last week. You know, Speaker Johnson went on Fox and Friends uh, with Elise Stefanik, and they talked about the hill that House Republicans are willing to die on. It's the border. It's the number one issue affecting all Americans. If you look at how bad the economy is, you could tie just about every component from the, you know, half a trillion dollars that we're spending on illegals every year in the United States to how it's hurting, as you alluded to, Congressman, the health care system, the education system, driving down the dollar, uh, American jobs and wages, et cetera. And, and then it's hard to worry about anybody else's border when our one here is like historically just absolutely destroyed by Joe Biden and Alejandro Mayorkas's open border policies. And we're looking forward as we uh, exit the holiday season in a few weeks to see just how hard you guys are willing to go and fight on that. This has been awesome sitting down with you today, getting the show started, obviously. Always great to have you on. We're going to live link your congressional website in the show description today. But for anyone that wants to check you out, where can they find you? It's, you know, on Twitter, Rep Ogles, obviously there's the campaign side. You can go to Andy Ogles, but look, I'm easy to find. I'm outspoken. I'm vocal. Um, and you look, look, the fight is at hand. We need you as constituents to engage with your member of Congress, to let them know where you're at on these issues, because we need to hear back from you. We need to know you, we are your, your advocate here in Washington, DC. And if we're not hearing from you, uh, well, that's a problem. And so with that, God bless you all. Thank you for what you do. And uh, we're off to the races. We're about to go vote, and uh, the fight begins on the NDAA and FISA. Can't wait to uh, be watching it. Even more excited to have you back on the show after the holidays. This is the congressman representing Tennessee 5, Representative Andy Ewells. Thanks for joining us on the show. Have a Merry Christmas. You as well. Thank you. Speaker Johnson, so far, is he a deer in the headlights or doing a decent job? 
This is a very hard job. <laughs> you know, if I, if I was the best to give advice, I'd still be in it. Um, and, and to be fair to Speaker Johnson, he, he didn't have the years before to plan. He wasn't the majority leader. He wasn't the minority leader. He, he's doing fine. And he, it's like anything else, 10,000 hours, you improve at your job. I, I think the best advice I could give to him, you're the Speaker of the House. Do not, do not govern in the idea that you're afraid somebody's gonna make a motion to vacate. When I made the decision to pay our troops and not shut down, I knew they were gonna make a motion to vacate on me. I didn't even know the Democrats would go along with it. But what I did know is I had been in that room before. I had watched what had failed. And I knew at that moment that when I thought before I ran for office, you'd always tell yourself, would you do what you think was right would you literally risk your job and do it? You say you would, but when you came to that moment, I hope history writes that I actually did what I said I would do before I ever got elected when that moment came. And I would do it all again because I hope others would look at that and do the exact same thing. It was right. Oh. That was former Speaker of the House as we're getting ready to jump into our news portion of the show today. It was great sitting down with Congressman Ogles getting things started as well. And that was former Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy, who over the course of the last week or so has really been making his plight as the worst mm. Speaker of the House of all time. Uh, we got a special guest who's going to be joining us as well to get things started on the show. He is a conservative consultant, former Chief of Staff, Capitol Hill. No one better to be doing Capitol Hill Roundup with us than Mr. Jim Paff. Welcome back to the show. Hey, glad to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, there's been a lot of uh, audio coming out and video on Kevin McCarthy lately. I mean, Jim, nobody probably tracks the way Capitol Hill is moving and shuffling as much as you do, having worked for there for so long and in so many different facets. But here's the thing. You know, last week it was Kevin McCarthy saying he looks at the Democrat Party and to him that looks like America. Uh, a few days later, he was at a speaking event and said, you know, when I was the Speaker of the House and I was in charge of the money on how things were going, if I felt during primary season that there was someone that didn't meet the criteria, I would have to, and he went without saying the exact words, but essentially interfere with their race to make sure they became a disenfranchised candidate and therefore wouldn't make it to the general election. He then would segue and go on to say they've hired more minorities and women and appointed people to you know, uh, some of these committees and stuff than any other speaker, which is neither here nor there. It should always be the best candidate who's looking to represent first their district, then the country. But, you know, and now you hear this is it's like, oh, this is such a hard job and you can't bend the knee when essentially that's what it looked like he did for an overwhelming majority of the 10 months that he wielded the speaker gavel. So for someone who's, who tracks this as hard as you do and you see how Kevin McCarthy has kind of melted down, we could also throw in there the fact that shortly after he lost the gavel, he was going around telling everybody that he believes Matt Gates belongs in jail or expelled from Congress like George Santos, who was removed without a actual disposition from a real court in regards to his cases. Uh, how do you think Kevin McCarthy's behavior is gonna be, has been? And moving forward, you know, he's opened up the window by leaving at Christmas time six months earlier to be able to lobby against people. Uh, what do you think the future looks like for him? Well, he is going to be spending next year working on uh, to take out anyone that he feels like that he wants to take out. Uh, you know, Kevin McCarthy leaving as Speaker represents a break from. Uh, and, and I mean, a break is in breaking something, a clean break from what had become really horrible in the Republican Party in Washington, D.C. And and the, the whole Boehner 
uh, Ryan McCarthy wing, the so-called, uh, what did they call um, the, uh, well, anyway. I, the I, young I, guns. It, <laughs> yeah, exactly. The whole young guns thing. Listen, that was a farce from the beginning. The, the young guns themselves are all making buttloads of money. Um, Canner's a multimillionaire. Ryan is a multimillionaire sitting on the board of Fox News. Make a lot of money there, too. It, it Listen. The, these guys had no sense of what the American people wanted. And they constantly told uh, members of Congress that came up there that to ignore, literally to ignore what the American people said. When I first went up there to work for Tim Hill's camp in 2010, I mean, he, he constantly had people in leadership telling him that you got to take the tough votes. That wasn't the tough votes to say, well, you know what? We got to get rid of this unconstitutional program, and that's going to have a negative consequence potentially. No, 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 no. They want all the unconstitutional D.C. swamp stuff, and you have to vote against your constituents. That was literally what they were asking for. So McCarthy off the scene is a break from that mindset that had, frankly, really begun after the first 100 days of Newt Gingrich's speakership uh, back in 1994. It's a, or 95, actually. It's a good break. I uh, Johnson's still there's a lot of mess right now with Johnson and we'll talk about some of that I'm sure nonetheless I think it does actually represent something a little bit new and then we'll see how it goes from here if we got to be real critical of it no and then you know one of the things we've tried to explain to our listenership and we have so many congressmen and women come on the show especially since the motion to vacate we, we talk about the fact that you know the the Republican Party as in its entirety is going through some major growing pains right now everything from the type of candidate that changed back in 2015 when Donald Trump rose to the top and eventually took the White House all the way down to the people who don't always make it to the general election but the ones that have made it to Congress have made it to the Senate are governors across the country right now it's definitely a shift. It's not something that can happen overnight. You can't fix it with the flip of a light switch. And I think at the most part, for it sucks because it's in a digital age and people want results immediately, but it's going to take some time. Don't you agree? There is an inertia, a Titanic-like, and I use that uh, analogy purposefully, there's a Titanic-like inertia in Washington, D.C. In fact, and let's be honest, we've already hit the iceberg. We're at 33, almost 30, going to be $35 trillion of debt very soon here. And it's an insurmountable amount of debt. It's way, I like, we're going to be at 130% of gross domestic product anytime soon in a non-war period. It's crazy. So the the trying to move this ship is going to be very, very hard from here. Uh, we're going to go ha have to get rescued somehow, and that's going to mean doing some serious policy. I don't know yet if Mike Johnson's the guy to really fully get us there, but the the problem that he's got ahead of him is huge. But by the way, I want on, there's one other issue. Like I, I, I give a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of credit to Kevin McCarthy. One of the things he talked about in that ish in that interview was in terms of looking like America is trying to get women and and black folks elected on the Republican side. Listen, that that goal is good, but the problem is not even Kim McCarthy quite knows how to do it. The it, Donald Trump has done the best job of connecting into the African American community of any major Republican out there for years and he does it honestly truthful. I talked to friends of mine, both Democrat and Republican black folks who believe it's sincere and some of them that even dislike him 
So th- that that change needs to happen. Kevin McCarthy was never the guy. It's still a goal that we need to have, and we'll see how it happens. But the Republican Party sucks at that. They need to change. But overall, that that's not the number one goal. It's an important goal. But the number one goal is to change the trajectory in Washington, D.C., and Republicans are always scared to death to do it because they're not willing to take a stand. Yeah, one of the things they're going to be having to take a stand on this week is the continuation of the Joe Biden impeachment inquiry, which is going to the House floor for a vote tomorrow. We've had quite a bit of people on the show recently who said they're all for it. They, they like the process that Mike Johnson is putting everyone through regarding this, making sure all the T's are crossed, the I's are dotted. Before they move it to a formal vote, they'd like to present all of the evidence, including the depositions and open committee testimony of people like Hunter Biden, who is supposed to be up on Capitol Hill this week as well. I saw Byron Donalds was on Charlie Kirk's show yesterday commentating on this. Let's check it out. So what we're going to do this week is that we are going to have the vote on the floor. I think Wednesday for the impeachment inquiry. And this is important because we have three DOJ officials and one White House official who are ignoring congressional subpoenas. I mean, Charlie, look, take a step back. If you had three DOJ officials and a White House official under President Trump ignoring congressional subpoenas, the world would be over. The media would lose their minds. That's happening under Joe Biden. The media says nothing. And so what we're going to do is we're going to hold our impeachment inquiry vote. We have brought significant amounts of information to all of our members review. We believe that vote is going to pass this week. So you're going to have a formal impeachment inquiry of the House. It's going to allow us to enforce those subpoenas. um, And then we're going to get the final information that we need. So it's pretty interesting to see how that's been going. Probably not as fast as many, you know, would like it to go. But at the same time, we harped for so long that Nancy Pelosi just essentially created out of thin air impeachments against Donald Trump's for things that were just fantasy and then brought them to the House floor for a formal vote without any kind of inquiry, with a lot of hearsay, with no real testimony or evidence. And it seems like Republicans are trying to play the long game in this. I don't know how it's going to serve moving into this election cycle, but what do you guys think? Well, listen, uh, Adam Schiff lied. We, we did impeachment on Donald Trump twice. Because of a lie and also because of uh, fear that people put in related to January 6th. So everything was absurd. It was never effective. It didn't get there. It's not likely that a House impeachment will uh, lead to a conviction in the Senate. The votes are just not there. But the substance is much stronger. Now, you're going to have Democrats like uh, James McGovern did today in the rules committee hearing on the issue where he gave kind of the blah 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 speech of the twice impeached trump and the highly cooperative biden administration (laughs) and the mega extremists in congress that want to move this forward because they're trying to whatever it's a bunch of bullcrap you're going to get on the democrat side on the republican side of this with the impeachment for the very reasons that byron donald stated is why you don't have overwhelming evidence yet. But that doesn't mean the evidence isn't really strong. No less than Jonathan Turley, who, who's never been a Republican nope. and is not a conservative. He's a, he's a brilliant jurist, a lawyer, but he's not a uh, any conservative at all. And, and, and Democrats hate him because he actually goes to facts. So here's what he said in his article today about this whole issue. He made the statement that since... He testified in September millions of dollars. They, they know now that millions of dollars were raised in what it definitely looks like, even to him as corrupt influence peddling. Many of those payments are confirmed by the Justice Department. 
um, in the second Hunter Biden indictment. He notes that he testified in September that in that impeachment hearing that the evidence had clearly passed the threshold of an inquiry at that time. And we've got more evidence since he's convinced that there is a very real and necessary move towards impeachment right now. This is without dispute. So what's going to happen now, and this is why Democrats are going to do the blah, blah, blah crap, is that once an impeachment inquiry is voted on uh, in the House, then Justice Department's going to have to come in and give the real info. Yep. Th- this same pattern played out with Nixon, by the way. It seemed, oh, come on, guys, you're going over. And then suddenly it became very compelling. Uh, this thing is not over with. And I think Jonathan Turley's instincts, which I have to trust more than some Democrats. Sure. Or Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> The America last milkers queen. Mm. Yeah. No, it's, it, you're, you're right. You know, you think back to, to Nixon and how that all started. It seemed like, especially in the mainstream media, essentially it was laughed off as a joke. And, you know, fast forward a, a couple, however, and you see Nixon getting on Marine One, given the double victory symbol. So it's one of those things where, you know, this might hurt Joe Biden heading into next year's election cycle a lot more than it does actually with the, the impeachment. Again, the Senate is almost essentially, even though if, if the evidence is be beyond reproach, there's still a very slim chance that they would vote for his impeachment in the Senate as well, especially with Chuck Schumer being such a strong ally there, which we're going to segue to now. He was on the House floor on Monday, kind of hyping up a very big visit happening in Washington, D.C. Noah's favorite European dictator was coming to town, (laughs) jumpsuit and all. He's got a new sweatshirt. Mm, You saw that, right? Let's hear the Senate Majority Leader. Earlier today, warned military officers at the National Defense University that, quote, If there's anyone inspired by unresolved issues on Capitol Hill, it is just Putin and his sick clique. So, if there's a word for what we most need this week, the word is to be serious about the task at hand. Thought he was going to rhyme there for a second. If Republicans in the Senate do not show they're serious about finalizing an agreement for the national security package, Vladimir Putin is going to walk through Ukraine and right through Europe. Both parties understand that aiding Ukraine and resisting Putin are critical for our national security. But Republicans, and only Republicans, are holding everything up because of unrealistic, maximalist demands on the border. Last week, we put forth a serious bill to address our national security needs. No, they didn't. The Mm-mm. package included robust border security provisions. <laughs> robust. Republicans rejected it out of hand, demanding their way or the highway, even though they were offered an amendment of their choosing. And they'd only need 11 Democrats to go along. This posture is unserious. Again, Republicans, and only Republicans, are holding everything up because of unrealistic, maximalist demands on the border. Maximalist? I want to be very clear. Maximalist? Democrats very much want an agreement if possible. We talked all weekend with our Republican counterparts to find some kind of agreement. We talked again earlier today. We are not there yet, but as a sign of good faith, Democrats are going to keep trying. Mm. If Republicans keep insisting on Donald Trump's border policies, then they will be at fault when a deal for aid to Ukraine, mean, Israel, and humanitarian aid to Gaza fall apart. You mean the stuff that was working? The onus is on Republicans to show they're willing to moderate. And we'll leave it at that. Guys, <laughs> wherever you're listening to the show today, doesn't 
matter what platform it is, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, make sure you subscribe to the show. helps us out so much in the Apple Top 100. Massages the algorithms, brings us up in the suggestions for your favorite political podcast. In addition to that, social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Stay for Breakfast accounts. Follow us and hit the notification bell. So that was Chuck Schumer right there. Obviously, there was a couple uh, words within the words. Obviously, you guys all heard that he was kind of challenging uh, Speaker Johnson's youth and inexperience with the gavel. And then tying all of that every few sentences to Trump-era policies, which is the play for Democrats right now. They make it seem like, you know, they profess that Donald Trump's border policies were insane and inhumane. And now they're trying to tie that to Mike Johnson in regards to trying to strong arm him and House Republicans who have the slimmest of majorities now, especially slimmer after the Christmas season uh, gets underway here with trying to find any kind of workable resolution on border security. What do you guys think? You know, um, whenever a Democrat, particularly Chuck Schumer, ever says, and Republicans need to moderate, <laughs> what they need is you need to totally, what they mean is you need to totally cave mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. what we demand. I mean, that, that that's the only moderation that exists with Democrats, and Republicans often give in to it. You were right to scoff at the statement that that it was, uh, you know, they were had strong border security. They didn't. They totally gutted H.R. 2, which is the bill that was the model for that. They gutted it, and, and, and Republicans called them out on that. Secondly, um, listen, when you're talking about a national security bill, when you're talking about the Ukraine funding, well, who's national security? Right. Well, really, nobody's because that's not even for Ukraine's national security. I mean, where the freak is that money going to? Yeah, it's going to some war footing. It's not entirely. There are a lot of questions about where that money's going, and it, they don't want to address it. And to be candid, when you go back to March, I think, of last year, like a year, almost two years ago, uh, and the fact that there was a very substantive peace deal on the table. Biden didn't want it, and he sent uh, Boris Johnson out there because Correct. he was too weak to walk downstairs to go cut it down. There, we got a huge problem with Ukraine. Forget this. I mean, this it's just a bunch of bogus lies. And what they want is military industrial complex money mm-hmm. to go to key contributors, and it stinks to high heaven. No, it certainly does. And, and monogram sweatshirts. Well, those yeah, two. that's right. <laughs> Don't forget the missus. She likes to shop at Tiffany's. Yeah, I think he might be trying to start his own like clothing company, like Ukrainian. Just ask for it. Mm, yeah, that's a good one. I like that. You know, there, there was a post that went out today that there was a huge cyber attack. A lot of communications and, and most of the Internet in the country of Ukraine was down. And I, I simply just stated, well, if, if the leader of the country was probably in country a little bit more than he is, instead of <laughs> flying around the world begging everybody for money, then maybe they won't have these problems or the intelligence would get to the top and he'd t- give them a you know better avenue to kind of deal with them. I question. Why is it we've got a world leader coming to lobby our Congress for money? That is a huge problem in my issue, in my opinion. And 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 right in the midst of what no one's mentioning here is Hunter Biden working out deals yeah. with nations uh, to in, get the influence of his dad all over the place. I mean, it just stinks to high heaven. No, it certainly does. I saw J.D. Vance jumped on with uh, Mr. Apparatus himself yesterday, Steve Bannon. His staff sent over the video clip. Let's hear it. 61 now, 
But just like Afghanistan, it's another 61 after that, another 61 after that. Correct? We're going to be a half a trillion dollars in this thing in, in before Trump gets back to office. Oh, absolutely. We're going to be asked to rebuild their entire country. That's after funding another $100, $200 billion in military conflict. There's $300 billion on top of that to rebuild the country. Then we got to pay for their pensioners. We're getting easily a half a trillion dollars in the hole for the Ukraine conflict yep. by the time this is done. And Steve, at the very same time, you have people in this town saying we need to cut Social Security. There are people who would cut Social Security, throw our grandparents into poverty. Why? So that one of Zelensky's ministers can buy a bigger yacht? Kiss my ass, Steve. It's not happening. Mm, I love J.D. Vance. Mm. We're going to get him on the show eventually. <laughs> yeah. You know, they, J.D. Vance's staff was sending me video clips from, you know, he was on with Jake Tapper the other day. They're like, hey, if you want to use this on the show, I was like, hey, listen, we love it here in the center on the show. I'm going to keep bothering Luke, who's his chief of staff. Uh, you know, up until we get to him on the show and, and he joins Senator Tuberville and soon to be Senator Cruz will be uh, great friends at stake for breakfast. Guys, we're getting ready to wrap here in this segment. I think uh, we need to end it on a little bit of a light note because here's the thing. This whole thing is a mess. J.D. Vance, you know, he hypothesized half a trillion dollars, and Steve Bannon seemed to agree with him there. We're, we're already past a quarter of a trillion when you talk about cash, aid, funding, military equipment, et cetera, plus all the money that's been laundered through the European Union as well. I saw one of the best in the business, Trey Fanzer memes, put out a heater yesterday. Noah, you're going to love his voice impersonation of the Ukrainian dictator <laughs> as he goes up to Capitol Hill and challenges the House and Senate for a little bit more cash. Let's check it out. Thank you, thank you. As I told General Austin, I have come here for a re-up of cash. I brought the coke, I brought the hookers, I brought the kickbacks. Now, where is my money? I need it to buy another yacht. I mean, uh, fund the war to fight against democracy. Delete the yacht part. I have dirt on all Washington politicians, and I will release unless I get my money. Do you want your sons and daughters sent to the war? What do you think of that one? That's not bad. Not bad at all. Jim, this has been awesome having you in for a segment today. Things fly by pretty quick here on Steak for Breakfast. I wish it was a Twitter space where we could go up to eight hours, but we do want to have everyone that's listening to the show today and, and like what they heard and want to help support you be able to find you. So why don't you tell our listenership a little bit of a non-shameless plug where they could find you. Sure. Go to locatejim.com. You can find out everything about me. By the way, as you guys know, I'm now the CEO of American Blockchain Pack. I'll be advocating for uh, blockchain legislation in D.C. and we'll get, be getting involved in campaigns. So AmericanBlockchainPack.org. And I want to leave you with this one thought. In 2020, China's entire military budget, at least as reported by China, we don't know if it's true, was $237 billion and we're up to nearly a quarter billion with Ukraine just this year. Just FYI, just a little factoid. Mm. Yeah, it's absolutely wild and crazy. Uh, just as terrific as when you join us on the show, Jim. You don't join us enough, but we will be sure to have you back in January. We'll try to do a little bit of a longer segment for you, and we definitely appreciate all the wisdom and commentary that you brought to the show today. This is the former chief of staff at Capitol Hill. This guy does a whole bunch more. Mr. Jim Paff, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, guys, we're getting ready to jump in with Congressman Matt Rosendale right now. But before we do, let's hear from one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, MySlippers, and Giza Dream Everything. 
If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you need a promo code steak here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak, or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next on the show today, he's a congressman from Montana. Always happy to sit down with Representative Matt Rosendale. Thank you for joining us on the show today. Hey, guys. Good to be on with you. Well, it's been a busy couple of weeks up on Capitol Hill. You guys have some major issues that are on the table. You guys are going to be doing some votes and uh, starting the big fight heading into the holiday season on the FISA stuff, the NDAA, the renewal or, or lack thereof of 702. I know this is something you've got some pretty hard criticisms on and, and want to see House Republicans move this back in the right direction. You want to give us the latest on that, Congressman? Yeah, like you say, there's been it's been very busy, but unfortunately not a lot has been accomplished. We have those on the Intel Committee that are trying to keep a lot of the provisions within the FISA or the 702 section uh, in place because I think their, their desires are sincere. I would like to think so, that they think it is in the best interest of the country uh, for national security. I just disagree with them. I'm on the side of the, most of the guys on the Judiciary Committee that say, you know something, uh, we need to make sure that we reform this and rein this uh, FISA uh, language in so that the civil liberties of the American citizens are not being compromised. The FISA, I mean, it literally, it stands for Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. Mm. So, so from my mindset, why in the world is this opening the door to any surveillance that is taking place on American citizens to begin with? We already addressed that. We addressed that in the Declaration of Independence. We addressed that in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And, and I just am very, very disturbed by this few that is taking place and of course we always get backed up against the wall saying you have to do it now or the the whole country's going to be at risk yeah and then you have all those you know high-ranking members of the intelligence community or those who have gone on to cush jobs in the mainstream media you know proprieting like well you know you don't want to continue to uh protect the american people the way it's been protected since 9-11 then oh man i hate to see all of these republicans have investigations opened up to what's really going on they try to like bully you guys all the time into thinking that uh you know if they're going to do the same stuff that they're doing let's just say to new york mayor eric adams he tells joe biden close the border next thing you know there's like a bribery scheme then he tells joe biden okay don't close the border but give Give me $4 billion more a year to take care of the 200,000 migrants you've sent to New York City in the last three years. Now he's got like a, a, a sex allegation scandal back from 1993. It seems like these guys know when to, to flip the light switch on and off to try and intimidate the people who are pushing against us. But when you talk about the Constitution, the Fourth Amendment, illegal search and seizures that are going on inside the United States, this is not happening at the borders. It's not happening at ports of entry. This is something that needs to be addressed. It does. It does. And this is what I continue to scream about. Illegal search and seizures, the uh, the uh, uh, monitoring of our phone calls, the monitoring of and the surveillance that takes place on our emails. This is a complete violation of our civil liberties and every American across the country should be standing up and fighting against it. I, I'd like to paraphrase, I think it was Benjamin Franklin had said that anyone who's willing to uh, sacrifice a bit of their liberty for some perceived security deserves neither. Our country was founded on the federal government protecting our rights, not violating our rights. 
and and we cannot allow this to continue on and so what the the intel community does is gets their people on that committee and they scare the bejeebies out of them meanwhile they are enriching themselves personally yep. it's not even a concern about the american people and our safety they are enriching themselves don't kid yourself that is what this is all about and so we get to this, this created, this engineered deadline where nothing happens. And so what do they do? They're just going to try to extend it by attaching it to the National Defense Act. Oh, which, by the way, looks nothing like the National Defense Act that the House of Representatives sent over to the Senate. This thing has got all the taxpayer-funded abortions, all the taxpayer-funded transgender surgeries, all the new Green Deal provisions that the Biden administration put in there with battery-operated Jeeps <laughs> and such. And, and they want us to fund all that and, and, and extend FISA. I'm a big no on all of it. No, it's the truth. And then when you talk about lack of concern for the American citizens and the public, this is one thing. Last thing I want to touch with you on, Congressman, it's it's a huge issue. And we know that you're just absolutely fuming about this. Recent reports have stated that nearly 200,000 illegal aliens have received medical care courtesy of the VA ahead of U.S. citizens and veterans of veterans. this country who went and served to protect our liberties and sovereignty for people who completely obliterated our sovereignty when they entered this country illegally. I know that this is something that you're bringing a lot of attention to, ringing the bell on, and we want to hear a take on it right now. Okay, so so let's get the record straight. I always tell folks, I'm the first one to stand up in the coffee shop and condemn our government when they're not doing their job, but I will also stand up and, and protect uh, once I've got accurate information. I don't have the luxury of allowing uh, coffee house rumors to perpetuate. And so we had a briefing last week with Chairman of the Veterans Affairs Committee, Mike Boss, and we had a lot of information shared with us. And based on the information that I have received now, the Veterans Administration has not used any of their staff nor any of their resources to provide any kind of health care for illegal immigrants. Okay, they they have shared a third party administrator for a, 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 a taking care of the bookkeeping. Okay, for the accounting purposes, but no Veterans Affairs of uh, uh, Veterans Administration uh, staff or resources has been utilized, nor their staff has been utilized for the delivery of that health care. So while I'm still trying to get additional information at this point, it doesn't look like they actually use Veterans Affairs resources. Now, even though it's a might be a third party, and like you said, maybe for administrative, let's just look at it this way. We're a week and a half away from Christmas. This has to be by far the hardest part of the year for a lot of veterans in this country who either don't have families, maybe suffering with addiction, uh, obviously PTSD and homelessness epidemic in this country, even to be using third party entities to give any attention to the illegals that came into this country ahead of our veterans. Shouldn't that bring the same amount of outrage to, to the, you know, the administrations that are allowing this to happen? Look, if we are directing any kind of resources from the Veterans Administration to uh, take care of or accommodate illegal aliens instead of our veterans, then I'm going to be the first guy to stand up and, and raise hell about it, okay? I've actually had the state director uh, that was in charge of Veterans Administration in Montana removed. So believe me, I'm going to be there ringing the bell. Congressman, we absolutely love sitting down with you today. We know you got a hard out. You're heading down to the House floor to take care of business. We're going to be live linking your congressional website in the show description today. Anybody that wants to follow you, where can they check you out? 
at Rep Rosendale. We make it real easy, at Rep Rosendale. And if you want to get the non-official side, the campaign side, it's matt4montana.com. Matt, F-O-R, Montana.com. God bless you all. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, too. This is the congressman who's representing Montana, too, but fighting for all of the American public. Representative Rosendale, thanks for coming to the show. Have a great Christmas. Eleven months from now, each of you will vote in the most important election of your lives. It's the most important election. I used to say 2016 was the most important election, but this is far more important. You know, we had a border problem in 2016, but it was minor by comparison to this. And I ran the campaign on the border, and I won. But this is far greater. And in 2020, I kept saying to my people, I want to talk about the border. They said, sir, we don't have a problem. You straightened it out. I said, that's good. I want to tell them that. He said, nobody wants to listen to that, sir. You straightened it out. We had a great border. I couldn't even talk about it. Now, the border crisis is the worst in history. There's never been any border like this from any country. So this election will decide whether your generation inherits a fascist country or a free country, whether you have the rule of tyrants or the rule of law, whether America will be destroyed by crooked Joe Biden and his goons, or whether we the people will make America great again. All right, jumping back into the news portion of our show right now, and it was great catching up with Representative Rosendale, as is always. Listen, they've got a busy day up on Capitol Hill. They're going to be debating the inner workings of the NDAA and, of course, the renewal or lack thereof, hopefully, of 702 protections for our intelligence agencies and that apparatus. Noah, Donald Trump attended the New York Young Republican Club Gala. It was the 111th in New York City on Saturday night. It was a massive event. It was the largest one they've ever hosted. I mean, for as much as we have... Gavin Wax, Paul Ingracia, Paul Geller, and all the rest of the great friends we've made over the years at the club on the show to promote it. It seems like they hit the start of gala season running and obviously had the crown jewel himself, President Donald Trump, as the main speaker there. What do you think? I think it's awesome. I wish we were closer so we could, you know, maybe finagle some tickets into that thing. Yeah, it would have been nice to go, but uh, just watching it from home out on some of the uh, streaming services, it, w- it looked like it was not only well attended, but the message that President Trump brought will be, uh, you know, one that resonates throughout the course of the primary and into the general election season. We're going to continue to touch on that uh, as well at the end of this segment when we sit down with Make America Great Again, Inc.'s very own spokeswoman, Caroline Levitt. She'll be joining us in just a bit. You know, one of the funniest things I think Donald Trump says when he's on the campaign trail is how he needs to reiterate to Joe Biden always referring to MAGA Republicans and the MAGA movement as something demonic or, you know, that negatively affects the country when Donald Trump pretty much lays it out there. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. MAGA, make America great again. It seems like a win to me. It seems like a win to President Trump, too. Let's hear him. Make America great again. How powerful is that? MAGA. MAGA. I tell that to Biden. I say, Joe, <laughs> Joe. when he gets up. We've got to stop the MAGA extremists. Yeah, I'm extreme about making America great again. Yeah. We're extreme. We're extreme. Hey, me too. They can't get away. They can't get away. It's such a great. You know, we almost changed it to CAG. You know that. Because we had America great. We were doing so great. We had the greatest economy, all the things. And so I had another one. Keep America great. Okay. But somehow it never registered the same way. MAGA is the greatest 
phrase, I think, in the history of politics anywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, I tell the story that uh, Pat Buchanan, who's a wonderful guy, great conservative guy. Love Pat Buchanan. And he became a very famous political pundit, did great. He had a wonderful life. You know, and it's one of those things where he would go on to allude to how this was one of the things at the start of his campaign that he gleaned from Pat Buchanan, something that Pat Buchanan kind of alluded to coming out of, you know, the, the Reagan doctrine when he ran for president. But when you talk about the good way President Trump has weaponized the phrase, make America great again, it is the battle cry for the movement that he started when he came down the golden escalator. And it seems like it's resonating with the American public more than it ever has before. Noah, what do you think? Yeah, it's just you love to see the the liberal left media go like, well, was America really ever great? <laughs> it's like, yeah. Tell us you hate us without yeah. telling us you hate us. Yeah. No, it, it, it's the truth. And, and, and you know, when, when you look at how President Trump, I, I do want to point out, too, some of the great friends of Steak for Breakfast got some exclusive FaceTime with the 45th president on Saturday night at the gala. When is ours? It's coming. Listen, I don't you know if you keep I, telling me that. I told you. Well, I got I got an email back from Susie Wiles last week. Okay, and she is well. Let's talk about this. We got to talk about. This. I've become a fan of Susie. Yeah, and here's the thing: I used to be very hypercritical of her and Brian Jack. You know, in the stemming from what happened in the 2020 cycle. You know, a little too much Jared Kushner, a little too much uh, trying to rope in the demographics of uh, people who might vote for President Trump and not maybe worrying about the base as much. I mean, the rallies were there. But COVID kind of screwed everything up as far as the way, you know, Donald Trump was essentially disenfranchised in, in from every angle everywhere. You know, it was the media saying he was going to kill people by holding rallies. It was everybody trying to hint on uh, things that had nothing to do with Donald Trump in regards to some of the policies that were coming out of, like, the the COVID response team or governors from states that Donald Trump couldn't force to do anything because – States' rights are as such per the Constitution. Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, when Susie and Brian sat down with Chris LaSavita and Stephen Chong and Jason Miller, um, you know, you got Natalie Harp, and they all went, Lynn Patton, this team that he's got around him right now, and they said, we're going to do things a little bit differently in 2024, getting back to basics. We're going to grassroots it out. So I think like in all, like for instance, the first five states, New Hampshire, uh, Nevada, South Carolina, and Iowa, Donald Trump's been hitting those very hard, the, the states that are ahead of Super Tuesday. And he's going out there, and instead of just holding these rallies and on the tarmac of an airport, he's going and meeting with these state-level GOP members, the people who are going to be working on the ground for him, uh, whipping primary votes, committing to caucus, et cetera. I think it's been more of a recipe for success. Plus, it's fiscally responsible when you have the GOP establishment, Ronald McDaniel, reluctant to help him. You have these dead-ender candidates like Ron DeSantis, who we'll get to in a little bit. You should have heard how he fucking... I know you haven't heard it, Noah. <laughs> Wait till you hear how Donald Trump just absolutely embarrassed Ron DeSantis. But you have these candidates out there who won't pack it in and consolidate behind Donald Trump. So they, they, they took their shot. They were going to do it a little differently. And if you look at just the polling, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes, it has resoundingly been successful for President Trump in his campaign. You'll never guess, and I have to point out to it every time, Boomer Steve, Steve Bannon. Oh, Boomer Steve? Now he's hitting Susie Wiles and Chris LaCivita because here's the deal. Tucker Carlson appeared on Megyn Kelly yesterday. They did like a exclusive interview, right? It was a good one, like over two hours. And they got into everything. They got into the VP question. 
And Tucker Carlson basically alluded to, first of all, Tucker Carlson announced yesterday on X that effective immediately he's launching the Tucker Carlson News Network. Nice. The Tucker Carlson Network. TCN. It's going to be great. But why would Tucker, at the start of this massive business opportunity for him to rebrand himself, would he abandon that in months and jump onto a presidential campaign? Now, here's the deal. From President Trump's standpoint alone, if he sat Tucker Carlson down and said, hey, I had a few contenders, I vetted them, I've thought about it hard, maybe I've even prayed about it, Tucker, I'm picking you to be my vice president, will you accept my tapping? And at which point, all unconclused and unresolved ideas on that go into the wind. That's going to be a decision that Donald Trump will make to Tucker Carlson face-to-face, and we can't weigh in on it. We have heard that Melania Trump would like Tucker Carlson maybe to be the VP, but there's also a lot of people in and around the president who also like people like Ben Carson, Christy Nome, mm-hmm. et cetera. Yeah. So here's the thing. Steve Bannon's saying that Susie Wiles and Chris Lasavita have to go now because they don't really think that Tucker Carlson is ready to be someone like the vice president of the United States. And yesterday on Megyn Kelly's show, Tucker Carlson alluded to this. He says everything he's done as a media speaker box for the last 40 years really hasn't prepared him to dive so deep into the arena of politics that he would be the second in command of the greatest country, the second most powerful person at the top of the chain of the world. And, and, you know, when when you see the announcement of his network come out, I think that's Tucker Carlson kind of saying, like, hey, guys, I'm going to support you guys. Because he says that I am unwavering supportive of Donald Trump. Every time I meet him and I'm close to him, I get more supportive of him. Mm-hmm. You see the way the entire system has jobbed it, and it makes me love him even more. But I think he's trying to say without saying, like, I'm going to do this and support you guys. There's a couple other viable candidates out there. Why don't you at least try to tap them first and see if they're a better fit? So, you know, I, I don't necessarily agree with that angle. You know, Steve Bannon and Donald Trump. I mean, it's a respectable stance. I agree. And, and Steve Bannon and Donald Trump had a hug. And, of course, the whole America First Circle jerk is like, bands back together. And, you know, uh, the generals are meeting before the war. Guy's cool. Like, you know, it is what it is. But, <laughs> but, but the fact of the matter is, is that I, I don't necessarily think at this point Tucker Carlson is going to be the vice president. However, like I said, if Donald Trump sat him down and said, I've went through the list, you're at the top of it, you need to make a decision, what do you say? Then it's up to Tucker Carlson. Do you think he would say, I've checked it twice? We are in the holiday season. Yep. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> but but here's the thing. I don't think that attacking the two people that are working hard at the front of President Trump's campaign and the success level that they've had up to this point you know, I'm forecasting right now that it looks like Donald Trump will have the nomination wrapped up before Super Tuesday, but we, we do have to let the elections play out. That's neither here nor there. I like it. Steve Bannon's a firebrand. He's a bomb thrower. But at the end of the day, like, help. Don't hurt, please. Mm-hmm. We're getting it from everywhere else. And uh, you're not making it any, any easier for Donald Trump. It's not like he loses sleep over it because Donald Trump really doesn't care. But at the same time, if it's all for, like, clicks, whistles, and downloads, then, you know, find a better lane to stay in than that one. You know, Donald Trump also laid out why he was running and what exactly this righteous crusade to secure our nation from these absolute Marxists and crazy motherfuckers. There's no way to even say that they're not Marxists, too, at this point. It's just, like, 100%. Let's hear them. But unlike crooked Joe Biden... (laughs) I'm running to liberate America. We want to liberate America because we're in a country that's in a lot of pain right now, a lot of hurt. This campaign is a righteous crusade to rescue our nation from a very corrupt political class. They are corrupt. 
They're incompetent, mm. and they probably hate our country. No. No longer will the men and women of America pay tribute to the people who threw open our borders, flooded our communities with deadly drugs, sold our jobs to China and other foreign countries, colluded with the big banks, conspired with corporate media, corrupted our government, and unleashed murderers, rapists, and gang members, savages all, to prey Ooh. on innocent people that walk the streets of our cities. The truth. They want Americans to be weak and poor, confused, divided, and afraid. Why they want that, I don't know. It's the only thing I can't figure out. Why they want that, I don't know. If you put me back in the White House, however, their reign will be over and America will be a free nation once again. So there you hear it. And it's, it's interesting to hear that the president basically pointed out everything that's going wrong in this country right now, the people who are behind it, but then kind of goes down the road of like, I don't understand what the reasoning is for behind this, why you would want to see the destruction of America. Unfortunately, last night, my wife and I sat down and watched the new Netflix movie who was, I guess, funded by the Obamas, Barack and Big Mike. Oh, good. Leave the world behind? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Can I just give you a quick rundown of it real quick? Yeah, let's get the Cliff's notes. There's, there's a family. Um, it's Julia Roberts and Ethan Hawke. And they go to... Is she a hooker? Not in this one. Oh, that's a shame. But she does almost hook up with the guy that she rents the Airbnb from. Wait, there's Airbnbs and when you're leaving the world behind? So they're on, going on vacation out to, it looks like, you know, Cape Cod or Nantucket or someplace like that. And they have their two kids with them. One just looks like an obscure, they're the little daughter, she looks just as trans as can be. But they don't say anything about her sexuality. But, I mean, it's like bowl cut. Boy face, freckles, like poor hygiene. She wears T-shirts and jean shorts the whole movie. And then there's the boy. He looks and sounds like the actor who plays Kylo Ren, but he's like 15 years younger. So they go up to this house and are having like a great day. The, the Airbnb is nice. And they go to the beach. And then all of a sudden, like this oil tanker crashes into the beach where they're at. That's a bummer. Seems weird. The internet goes out, this, that, and the other thing. Emergency broadcast system. But they're out in rural, rural America, and they can't – they're not really connected to anything. So they don't have cell service. They don't have internet. The soil tanker crashed. Long story short, middle of the night, man comes to the door, a black man. Mm. Says he's the owner of the home. Is it Obama? Might as well have been. He didn't put his, himself in the movie? He's with his daughter. His daughter is a complete degenerate. She walks around the entire movie, the entire movie, wearing, like, suggestive clothes with, like, her skin all out. And her nipples at diamond cutter level. Diamond cutter? Yeah. Like, it's just, I don't know why. Like, every time this girl's on camera, they show her from, like, the chest up. And, like, she's got really small boobs, but her nipples are just, like, burning your retinas. <laughs> and long story short, the world is falling apart. Okay? The attack on the power grid happened. Planes are crashing. Cities are burning. They even take a shot at Elon Musk. This family tries to leave this Airbnb and go back to the city so they could stay with a relative. And as they're getting ready to go onto the on-ramp, there are miles uh, of... Yeah, going back to the city, that's your first mistake. Miles <laughs> of Teslas from the auto lots with the stickers still on them that self-drove themselves to clog up every entrance to every freeway. Oh, that's nice. That's a good angle. And essentially, the movie still ends with like a nuclear holocaust. Having Listen, save yourself some time. It's like... 90 minutes of 
an underlying tone that white people can't be trusted and why should you not trust the black family? And at the end, they like hold hands and realize that the world is ending. So let's just all sing Kumbaya as like the mushroom cloud is literally coming by them. It was awful. It's a little predictive programming too, probably, right? Yeah. And everything in between, there was like this, uh, you know, uh, sovereign citizen type guy with the bunker in his house and this, that, and the other thing. And believe it or not, the entire premise of the movie is watching the last episode of Friends. Seriously? Yeah, and I'm glad I spoiled it for our entire listenership because I'm telling you again, it's not worth it. But that's some predictive programming in regards to what Donald Trump is saying. The things that the Democrat Party and the Marxists and communists in this country have used for decades against minorities, they're now using from within our country again against whites, against Jews. And what they're doing is making sure that there's no demographic who's safe from harsh criticism and racial divide, the completion of the Obama doctrine. And that is the there there. Speaking of dictators, you know, it's been up in the news lately that everyone is projecting that if Donald Trump wins the presidency, he's going to be a dictator that's going to punish all of his political adversaries and Mm -hmm. throw everybody that wronged him in jail. He's just going to be a dictator on day one. For as much as he's pushed it, that's all he said. Let's hear it. (laughs) A baker today in the New York Times. (laughs) He said uh, that I want to be a dictator. I didn't say that. I said I want to be a dictator for one day. But the New York (laughs) Times said, and you know why I wanted to be a dictator? Because I want a wall, right? I want a wall, and I want to drill, drill, drill. (laughs) How do you not love this guy? I can only vote for him once. I'm not a Democrat. So... Built well, mm. we did. We built. They certainly did. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. You know, they make these talking points, and Donald Trump, even at 77 years old, is still so sharp and hip with it that he could push back on this narrative and be like, no, no, it's just for a day. It's only for a wall. Just for a second, see how it feels. A little bit of drill, baby, drill. <laughs> and then we'll move on with being a normal president again. Yeah. Oh. Hitting at his political adversaries on the Democrat side and in the mainstream was one thing, but what he did to Ron DeSantis in a complete pantsing was another. Pantsing. You sure you haven't heard this? I don't think so. Are you ready for every meme talking point in like 20 seconds or less? Yes. Let's hear Donald Trump blow up meatball Ron. We want Donald Trump. We don't want to run against Ron DeSanctimonious with his high heels. And his bobblehead bullshit, you know. (laughs) No, it looks like a bobblehead doll. (laughs) You want to know what? You knew it was going to happen. The room was extremely MAGA. Two plus two is always four. If he didn't say it, that's racist, by the way. Oh, shit, I forgot. I think that was in the Netflix movie as well. Vagina. Thank you. Just found out today, driving over to the podcast. Now, you know Ron DeSantis has been grifting hard for his endorsements. And that... Chris Sununu is someone that Ron DeSantis has campaigned alongside since the 2022 cycle when they did events for people like Adam Laxalt and um, Lee Zeldin up in New York. Turns out Chris Sununu, who was with Ron DeSantis as recently as last week, signed the big Ron DeSantis always gets a flat tire tour bus, Mm -hmm. has announced he'll be endorsing former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley today. (laughs) Wow. Can't wait to ask Caroline Levitt about that one in a few minutes. Guys, wherever you're listening to the show today, I just need to remind you, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, 
help us solve the simple equation of winning by following the show on one of those platforms. That means you hit the follow button or the plus sign for our podcast on your platform and it downloads to your electronic device. This helps us out in a lot of ways. Apple Top 100. The higher we go, let's just say the better guest content we get, the better... I don't know. What else could we throw out there? Mm. I'd say commentary, but it's, yeah. already, it's already platinum tier. Not right? Pla- not platinum plan, though. No. It massages the algorithms on the podcast applications, and it, it, gives, brings, you, it gives you something to do. Yeah, it brings us up in the suggestions where what else could you be listening to? Listen, it's great that you get every single person who comes on our show for those two to three and a half minute hits on Mornings with Maria, Boomer Sweat Sean Hannity, the Botox Queen Laura Ingrams, Never Trumper Eric Bowling, or God forbid, the Emperor of Boomer Sweat's Mark Levin show, where all they do is talk over them and don't ask the right questions. Oh, do you think Joe Biden's a bad president? Tell us in about three seconds. As soon as the congressperson opens their mouth. Yeah, but don't you think Joe Biden's doing We don't do that here on Steak for Breakfast. We get a better lineup on this show twice a week than anyone in the mainstream media ever. Do you guys, who, who would you rather have? Caroline Levitt or Tommy Lauren? Matt Rosendale or Dana Bash? Colonel McGregor or some boomer that wants to go to war with Iran? We give you what nobody else gives you on a bi-weekly basis. We've been doing it and getting better at it for over five years. So do us a huge favor. Our podcast will always be 100% free. We will never ask you to buy merch. We will never ask you to subscribe to anything for any kind of a payment. I'll never do a GoFundMe. Just follow the Steak for Breakfast podcast. Then on social media, it's Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find our accounts, follow them, hit the notification bell. Then all the great things that are going on on the show, you'll be able to find on social media. See who I'm getting blocked by this week. Oh, yeah. That's mm-hmm. a good update. We should have like a, I know, like a graph or it's a, it's a like Excel spreadsheet or something. The Iraqi war deck of cards of everybody <laughs> on, on Ron DeSantis' <laughs> team. You got to catch them all. Mm-hmm. Well, there was that. There was also some news. You know, Donald Trump's been having some issues with Jack Smith. Jack Smith's trying to railroad this January 6th investigation down everyone's throat, including the Supreme Court's. Yesterday, he petitioned the Supreme Court to resolve questions of whether or not a former president enjoys the absolute immunity from federal prosecution for crimes that may have been committed while in office. Mm. Because remember, that is the premise. And they're trying to get this thing kicked off again, I believe, on March 4th, which is just one day before Super Tuesday. You say it's not a political hit job. I don't know what else to tell you. The Supreme Court responded and said they will expedite Jack Smith's request to review the information, but again, did not follow up on saying that they would give him a disposition on it or did not lead into anywhere thinking uh, on which way they would rule it. Here's the thing. When you try to fast track something to the Supreme Court, what they usually go off of is past briefs, rulings, and the information from the appellates. In the case of trying a former president for insurrection since the Civil War, there is none of that data. So by Jack Smith doing this, all it seems is like it's politically motivated, especially coming a day before Super Tuesday. So who knows what the Supreme Court, this might backfire for the guy who looks like Count Dooku from Star Wars, <laughs> the former Hague juror. Jesus. Speaking of which, talking about Hague jurors and people that just absolutely suck. We had a response from the Trump campaign on Jack Smith's filing yesterday. This came from 
President Trump. You ready, Noah? Yep. Crooked Joe Biden's henchman, deranged Jack Smith, is so obsessed with interfering with the 2024 presidential election with the goal of preventing President Trump from retaking the Oval Office, as the president is poised to do, that Jack Smith is willing to try for the Hail Mary by racing to the Supreme Court and attempting to bypass the appellate process. Deranged may need to be reminded that the Supreme Court has not been kind to him, including by handing down a rare unanimous rebuke when the court overturned him 8-0 in the Governor McDonnell case. As President Trump said over and over again, this prosecution is completely politically motivated. There is absolutely no reason to rush this sham trial except to injure President Trump and the tens of millions of his supporters. President Trump will continue to fight for justice and continue to oppose those authoritarian tactics. And that is from an official spokesperson connected to the Trump campaign. Last clip before we jump in with Caroline Levitt, and it goes hand in hand with what we've been giving you guys since Thanksgiving. And it's the ratcheting up of the rhetoric against America first and the trying to disenfranchise Donald Trump's candidacy, as you're seeing so much here. We've got soon to be retired Utah Senator Mitt Mittens, Mm. Pierre Delecto, Mm. Romney, sitting down with the mainstream media this week to talk about President Trump on Meet the Fake Press and talking about how if he gets a second term, it would basically be unrestrained, unhinged, and the worst thing that could ever happen to America. This comes in direct contrast to all the things that President Trump has said on the campaign trail in his attempt to, no, maybe you've heard of it. Make America great again? I don't know how you took the words right out of my mouth, but you did. Let's hear the departing Utah senator. Do you think a second Trump term would look like? Well, I think if you can look at the last few months of his presidency, you'd suggest that that's the kind of thing you might see, uh, that he would not have the generals around him as he did last time, people of judgment and experience offering advice, and in some cases restraining his impulses. Instead, he would have people around him encouraging his impulses and perhaps adding to them. Uh, and I'm afraid you'd, you'd find the nation more divided. Look, look our, our nation doesn't need to be divided right now. A a campaign based on anger and hate uh, may win at the ballot box temporarily, but it tears the country apart. The other day, the president, former president, said that that we are at greater threat for what what is within. I I think that was in some respects a self-own because what's within, if he were to become elected president again, is a campaign of retribution and anger and hate. That's not what America's based on. America was based on the idea of in God we trust and united we stand. Divided we fall. Divided nation is not the nation America is intended to be. Mm-hmm. You were very liberal with the garrison button there. Mm. You I, I just you didn't even get a fuck you. I hate you. Yeah, that's just irritating. I was just listening to trying to just think of what the next stupid thing he was going to say would be. Here's the deal. I wish that there was some kind of clause in the presidential primary season, all these motherfuckers that think they know better, all these motherfuckers that don't think life was better under Donald Trump, I'm talking, look at this ticket. Liz Cheney, Mitt Romney, Larry Hogan, and Joe Manchin, they should let all four of them run together as one president against Donald Trump. Like a shitty Voltron. They wouldn't even get 10% of the nation's votes. And that's just saying, these are all people who are literally in some of the highest-ranking government seats a year and a half ago, and some of them are still serving like uh, Pierre Delecto there. So (laughs) this is the kind of narrative that you're going to continue to be spoon-fed, especially heading into the Christmas season. Listenership, be very aware. When you turn on the mainstream media, there's going to be very little news, and there's going to be a whole lot of commentary. And the commentary at this point, especially with these polls that we're going to be taking a very hard look at, 
in our next news segment, they're scared. They know it's coming, and they're running out of avenues to stop President Trump. We're going to continue to talk about this narrative right now with the official spokeswoman for MAGA Inc., Caroline Levitt. But before we do that, let's check in with one of our partners. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Battleborn Coffee Roasters. They're law enforcement, family-owned, and they produce some of the best available specialty-grade coffee. That means all those beans have gone through an extensive process to remove all defects. Battleborn researches all their sources, farms, and milling stations to make sure you're not getting any pesticides or chemical fertilizers. Sit back and have a cup of their borderline Mexico Chiapas blend while you're out sitting on an X or sitting in the office. High-quality coffee from high-quality people. Use promo code STEAK for 20% off your first order. Make sure you go check them out at battleborn.com. Coffee. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Tuesday edition of the State Breakfast Podcast. She's the official spokeswoman for MAGA Inc. Always happy to be sitting down with the Queen of New Hampshire herself, Miss Caroline Levin. Hey. Welcome back to the show. Hey guys, thanks so much for having me. You're the best. Well, for as much speaking events and campaign related material that Donald Trump hasn't been doing on the road, he's been in and out of court for a little over the last week. He did attend the New York Young Republican Club Gala, the 111th, uh, last Saturday out in New York. It was one of the Largest events of the gala season. It's probably going to be the best attended as far as America First goes. And the president gave a speech that was extremely pointed at not only Joe Biden, but bringing this country back from the brink, which is something we like to point out on every episode of the Steak for Breakfast podcast here. Uh, You know, I thought it was a really strong speech for President Trump. He was obviously well-received in a huge America First delegation that was in attendance of the gala. But how important is it for him, especially entering this season where a lot of people outside of probably the the last few pretender candidates and the president himself are going to be pretty much shutting it down, but to still be portraying that message to the American people, especially entering into such a what a lot of people are looking at as a sad holiday season this year? Yeah, well, certainly this is a a rough time of year as we grapple still with Bidenomics. It's robbing, you know, hardworking families every single month of $700 or more. Uh, Yesterday, Joe Biden traveled to Philly to give a speech. Uh, He was stumbling and bumbling all over the place. But uh, we felt it was an opportunity to remind people what Bidenomics has done in the great state of Pennsylvania. And just there alone, an average household is having to spend more than $9,000 a year more just to have the same quality of life as they did two years ago. So these are really untenable times. We cannot afford, literally cannot afford, four more years of Joe Biden's presidency. Uh, His economic agenda is really crippling the, the middle class in this country, the small business community. Uh, and then you see, you know, this mass influx of illegal immigrants who are being flown on our tax dime to American cities, given government cell phones uh, and promised jobs and, and licenses in many blue Democrat run states. So it's deeply infuriating to be an American right now, but we must remain hopeful. We have less than a year until President Trump is back in the White House. He is fighting tooth and nail all of the indictments, all of the smears and the lies from the mainstream fake media to get back there and put America first again. And I'm so hopeful because I see more and more Americans waking up to just how badly we need President Trump back. You look at some of these poll numbers and anecdotally, when you're out in your community and you talk to people, people, there are no enthusiastic Joe Biden supporters left in America. If you go out there and actually talk to average Americans, whether it be at the grocery store or at work, uh, it just, they don't exist because he's screwed everyone, regardless of race or religion or income. And uh, the American public recognizes we need Donald Trump back for safety, for economic prosperity and for national security as well. 
Yeah, I think it's becoming more apparent that that is the correct narrative there. And when you look at a lot of the polls that came out, there were some major ones. One of the only polls that is supposedly trusted in Iowa this week that showed Donald Trump had pretty much wrapped up not only over 50 percent of the vote, but a big committal from a lot of those caucus goers to not be changing their vote come uh, January 15th. And then, you know, you you look a little bit ahead down the road. There was a a large poll that came out from the morning consult that had, I believe, 26 states, uh, including some of the major swing states. And it showed Donald Trump just looking absolutely superior and all of them. But one of the things that we've noticed on the show, and this really ramped up during the Thanksgiving holiday, you know, when when the politics shut down, it gives the people who commentate on that uh, the opportunity to provide a new narrative for the American public who who are looking for the news, but, you know, over the course of the last nearly a decade now, just don't get it honestly and straight shot from the mainstream media. And that is Donald Trump and the dictator narrative. I mean, we've seen things like Victoria Newland's husband writing an op-ed for a major edit, uh, news publication that said, you know, we have to start being comfortable with the the narrative that Donald Trump could be assassinated and what does life look like after that. And then you've had everybody from both sides of the aisle, let's just say people like Mitt Romney and Paul Ryan to Hillary Clinton and you know Elizabeth Warren trumpeting the same narrative that the incoming of a Donald Trump presidency in 2025 would essentially be the end of American democracy, the end of the world as we know it, even though when Donald Trump was in office for four years, we saw the complete opposite of that. That that aside, Caroline, when you see this narrative starting to ramp up again, I mean, you've even had a safe space normally for the president that he goes to Fox News and Sean Hannity show uh, as recently as last week. Him, even in a joking way, pushing him on that narrative. It, it seems so dangerous in, in a time that we're in right now where Donald Trump's talking about, like, you will never be able to financially recover and we're living on the threat of nuclear war to have to deal with a, such a made up and, and pointed narrative at the former president. Yeah, well, here's what I have to say about that. And thanks for bringing this up, because it is a prevalent narrative in the mainstream media right now. The Democrats are masters of projection. Every single time that they point the finger and accuse Donald Trump or Republicans or his supporters of doing something, they themselves are doing it. Let's run it back to 2016. Look at the narrative then. It was that Trump was an illegitimate president who colluded with the Russians. We now know, I mean, we knew it at the time, right? But the American public now knows that that was never true. Hillary Clinton paid to push that lie and the our government at the highest levels pushed that lie uh, let's also discuss the hunter biden laptop story right the mainstream media said that that was russian disinformation and that president trump was pandering to the russians that again was a lie and who's compromised by the russians and the ukrainians and the chinese it's joe biden and hunter biden themselves so every time they point the finger at trump they themselves are doing it and this whole dictator conspiracy tale that they're pushing is no different joe biden we we do have a dictator in america newsflash and it's joe biden he's in the white house today yes. just look at the list of the actions that he has taken a vaccine mandate that was completely unconstitutional shot down by the supreme court thank god that forced thousands of americans out of our military and out of their jobs the way that joe biden has treated people from the government Uh, using the government to treat people that they don't politically align with. Look at parents at school board meetings, the FBI using battering rams to knock down their front doors and arrest these people. Look at the January 6th prisoners who have become political prisoners of the Biden regime simply because they protested in support of Joe Biden's political opposition in 2020. You also look at, of course, the way that they censor free speech and suppress conservative voices like yours and mine every single 
single day by colluding with big tech. We saw that more than ever before the 2020 election, which helped them rig that election and implant Joe Biden into the White House. It was one of the many ways they did it. And then, of course, the hallmark of a dictatorship, if you study every communist regime in this world, is the political persecution of your political opposition. And we see that with Joe Biden right now. They are literally weaponizing the Department of Justice to imprison Biden's lead political opponent before the next election. They've indicted him on more than 90 false, fraudulent, baseless charges in order to smear his name and use the lawfare to remove it off of the ballot rather than beat him fair and square. That is a dictatorship. But they want to... They want to they want to bloody the waters and confuse uninformed Americans who are just living their everyday lives by saying Trump is a dictator. Uh, And so that's why they're pointing the finger. They're trying to muddy the narrative to hide what they are actually doing. And I I just don't think people are going to buy this. Look, Donald Trump was in office for four years. America certainly didn't look like a dictatorship. We actually looked like the constitutional republic that our founders, founding fathers envisioned. He was the first president in in modern era not to get us into new wars. Our economy was booming. Our border was secure. We had law and order and common sense. So I don't think this dictator narrative is going to work, but we need to understand why they're pushing it. And it's because they themselves are governing as an authoritarian regime. No, it's an absolute truth. And every single thing I want to follow up on you hit in the last end of your point there. So, and you made it a good one and we're going to, we're going to move on and keep this rolling. Uh, we're going to take it up to the granite state right now and stay in there for the rest of the hit. I, I think the biggest news that's breaking this morning is to see that the current governor there, Chris Sununu is going to be endorsing Nikki Haley, uh, you know, today. And it's a, it seems to be a big blow to Florida governor Ron DeSantis for all intents and purposes. We have no idea still in the race or, or you know, piggybacking off of that why any of them are still in the race we call it the fake primary here on the show the primary that hangs out and fights over the scraps of donald trump's you know clear and present path to the nomination that he's had since essentially he announced last november but this is a huge snub for ron DeSantis, and it's kind of like the crown jewel on what a failed campaign looks like i think he took a lot of gambles number one by getting in this race number two by staying as long and listening to the consultants uh, that work on his team who are going to be the only winners of the ron DeSantis campaign is the people who are getting paid to keep him in this race for as long as it goes but the fact of the matter of when you see things like you know almost surefire bets like chris nunu and ron DeSantis have been on the campaign trail together essentially since the 2022 mid-season election cycle they did a lot of events together for people like lee zeldin and, and out in Nevada. And now it seems like everybody seems to be walking away from Ron DeSantis. I I think it's very telling for what his political future looks like as well. I think this is kind of another instance of writing on the wall. But when you see the governor there making a decision, a a split second decision this late in the game, when it all but seemed he was going to be endorsing Ron DeSantis, how does that look on the ground for you guys? Well, look, first of all, you hit the nail on the head when it comes to Ron DeSantis's campaign. I mean, it's dead in the water. He and his campaign and his super PAC have burned through quite literally hundreds of millions of dollars. Now imagine just for a second, if all of that money and those resources and time uh, could be spent with President Trump's campaign and our efforts to defeat Joe Biden, uh, what a blessing that would have been. But unfortunately, Ron DeSantis was too too selfish to put the interests of the country ahead of his own. Uh, He wanted his consultants to be able to uh, cash big checks. And he's seen his own political demise because of it. So he is... uh, 
he's polling 40, 50 points behind President Trump in New Hampshire, in Iowa, South Carolina, and every single state. I don't think we'll see him get to New Hampshire, but we'll have to, you know, we'll have to see how it goes. In terms of our governor's endorsement of Nikki Haley, you know, it's a little bit surprising because Governor Sununu, I would say his his only redeeming quality up here is that he has been opposed to taxes. We don't have an income tax here. We don't have a sales tax. But for them, him to go on and endorse the queen of taxes, Nikki Haley. I mean, when you look at her record, when she was governor of South Carolina, she promised the people there she would not implement a gas tax. Uh, she did that. In fact, she advocated for a 60% hike in a gas tax uh, to pay for this, this boondoggle infrastructure bill that she was pushing. And then after she flip-flopped on that and voters got upset with her, she actually scrubbed her opposition to the gas tax originally from her website. So she, she not only flip-flops on her positions, but she can't stand on her own two feet and explain why she is changing her mind. She tries to lie to voters. So I think it's extremely unfortunate that our governor has chosen uh, to endorse a tax and spend politician like Nikki Haley. But at the end of the day, you know, Chris Sununu, Nikki Haley, they are part of the never Trump establishment uh, rhino warmonger movement that is not going to prevail. The, the movement of we the people, the America first movement is going to prevail. Uh, President Trump is going to be our nominee. Uh, he's going to take back the White House and uh, all those other, you know, anti-Trump politicians. Uh, hopefully there's enough contributorships at ABC and CBS <laughs> and all the hack networks to go around because they're all going to need something to do. No, it's the truth. And, and we look at it as a, the only win we see out of this situation is you alluded to is when that never Trump vote is getting consolidated down. It means more of a soft target for the president as he's out on the campaign trail. And then you're going to see people who, you know, may have been thinking about another candidate, but then they see someone come in and like you said, almost hypocritically endorse a tax and spend candidate in New Hampshire like Nikki Haley is. And, and you might have some people who are going to be voting in the primary up there walking away. Caroline, last thing I want to touch with you on briefly, you've got some big events scheduled with the president. He's going to be in state, I believe, this week or next week. Uh, we've been talking with a lot of people on the ground there. Everyone's excited getting ahead of these events coming before the holiday season. It's super important for the president to be out with the American people, you know, at any time. But we think uh, heading directly into the Christmas season and off the heels of Hanukkah, this is going to be big for him to be hitting those campaign points up in the Granite State. Absolutely. We're looking forward to welcoming him back this Saturday. He's going to the University of New Hampshire, which, of course, is a, a liberal college like any. Uh, but I know there's a lot of students that I've personally heard from who are so excited to hear from President Trump. I think we're seeing a big shift among young people, you guys. And I think that's going to be something really exciting to watch in the in the next year. And as a young American myself, in addition to, of course, being the spokeswoman for MAGA Inc., it is my goal every day up here in New Hampshire to speak to my peers and my colleagues my friends, former classmates, about why they should be voting for President Trump. I mean, the American dream is slowly dying. You know, my generation, the majority can't afford to purchase a home. Uh, they're struggling. Their their income is not keeping up with the pace of inflation. And so um, I think I'm, look, I'm looking forward to seeing President Trump speak on that college campus, speak to a lot of young people about his vision uh, to bring the American dream back for all of us and to, again, make America great again and safe again, peaceful again, and prosperous again as well. Oh, we love it. And we'll be obviously tracking that event with full coverage on our Tuesday edition of the show next week. Caroline, this has been awesome sitting down with you today. We're obviously going to be linking the pack in the show description. But anybody that wants to follow you on, on social media, check you out and help continue to support President Trump in his quest to retake the White House next year, where can they find you? 
please go to my Twitter, Truth Social, Instagram, Facebook. I'm all over the place. You can go to K Levitt, L E A V I T T N H, as in my great home state of New Hampshire, K Levitt N H, all over the place. Thanks, guys. You're the best. Oh, thank you. This is the spokeswoman for Make America Great Again, Inc., Miss Caroline Levin. Thanks for coming on the show. Have a Merry Christmas. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you. God bless. Do you think there's any Democrat who could defeat Donald Trump other than you? Probably 50 of them. You do believe that there are? I'm not the only one to defeat him, but I will defeat him. Who else do you think could defeat Donald Trump, Mr. President? Will Donald Trump be the nominee? Yes. And the Republican Party? Yes. And if Biden stays as the nominee for the Democrats, I believe Donald Trump will win. I believe the Republicans will gain more seats in the House and the Republicans will win the Senate. Can he count on your support? Yes. That's an endorsement. I will support the president. I will support President Trump. Would you be willing to serve in a Trump cabinet? In the right position. Look, if, I, if I'm the best person for the job, yes. Look, I've worked with President Trump on a lot of policies. I, we work together to win the majority. But we also have a relationship where we're very honest with one another. October 7th, my father, a father returned to his kibbutz to salvage what he could from his home. What was left was in the rubble and ruin. The home which hid, which he had hidden in with his wife and his daughter for 20 hours. All right, that was some of the sounds from the campaign trail heading into uh, our Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast. And let's play a little 2024 presidential primary roundup. All right, Noah, you, you heard our little steak montage right there to get things started last news segment of the day you didn't seem to be a fan of joe biden <laughs> leaving a speaking event and slamming the door in the face of the press i thought that was something that some memer had added like a sound effect i'll show you that the video. was real i'll show you the video after the show that's it, amazing yeah and and you know what's not amazing is that joe biden <laughs> referred to one of the victims of the october 7th hamas attack as his father Wait, what? Yeah, he said, my father returned to his kibbutz to gather his belongings, not even being able to read from the teleprompter. Wow. And before that, he alluded to saying that there were at least 50 people in the United States. We talked about it in our last news segment. Let's get them all together on one ticket. 50 people who could beat Donald Trump, but he's going to be the guy to do it. <laughs> the, the father thing, I, I didn't even catch that. I was just listening to mumbling and jumbling and just expecting nonsensical ramblings and that's what i got but at this like, point you can't even read a teleprompter now no like that's you have one job mm -hmm. like technically you have like another job that's more important but like when you're the puppet of the puppeteers you have one job we're dealing in quantum retardery right now <laughs> that's basically what i call it oh man we need hank pym to get in here and and, and fix something the multiverse is real i tell mm, you that much yeah and, and part of the alternate reality that we're all living in right now is some of the stuff that's going on with Hunter Biden and the way that he's been hurting his father on the campaign trail. Not in the money department, but definitely um, devaluing him ahead of potential primary voters coming up here in, in just about five weeks. I don't know if you heard. No, we called it. We've said it from day one. Even though at times Gavin Newsom, the California governor, has looked sexy, we always said if someone was going to step in at this point, during the election cycle, there's only one person with the already pre-established national apparatus mm -hmm. that can handle the rigors of a general election, and that is Kill Dog herself, Hillary Clinton. The announcement was made yesterday, official. Hillary Clinton will now be serving as one of the senior campaign advisors at the national level 
for Joe Biden for president 2024. Ugh. So now she is literally gross positioned herself directly next to Joe Biden so that when the dagger goes in, it'll be clean. It'll be concise and it'll definitely be projected. <laughs> but here's the thing. We haven't heard from Hunter Biden in years, bits and pieces from his lawyers, him waving to the press as he's going in and out of court, as, as seems to be the case with him quite often now lately. He's just waving crack smoke away. He sat down for a crack-exclusive interview <laughs> with former failed recording artist Moby. Really? Career vegan. Trying to be relevant, huh? On the Moby podcast this week. How's that neck tattoo working out for you, Chief? Want to hear the uh, smartest man Joe Biden knows? Let's check it out. Mm. Recognizing uh, your resentments and trying to let them go. That's the way that I do it. The way that I do it is, number one, I recognize that none of this is, is necessarily about me. They are trying to, in the in in their most uh, illegitimate way, but rational way, they're trying to destroy a presidency, and so it's not about me. In their most base way, what they're trying to do is they're trying to kill me, oh. knowing that it will be a pain greater than my father could be able to handle, and so therefore destroying a presidency in that way. And so I realized that, that it's not about me. And then the second thing that I realized is that these people are just sad, very, very sick people that have most likely just faced traumas in their lives. So this is an AI. That they've decided that sounds they shoppy. are going to turn into an evil that they like decide that they're going to inflict on, on the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. What would you think a crackhead sounds like, Noah? Well, I mean, you know. This guy spent decades laundering money as an illegal foreign agent, paying for things like sex, drugs, and teeth. What do you think he would sound like? I just seems super choppy. Yeah. I think, I think being a drug addict, he'd be a little bit more relaxed. You saw him grinding his teeth on the 4th of July when the fireworks started going off. Yeah. A couple days later, they found that bag of snow. Yeah, he was uh, gacked, to say the least. <laughs> Haven't heard that one in a while. But let's jump in. I mean, listen, Joe Biden's doing a good job of killing his own campaign. I think adding Hillary Clinton to the equation should raise a couple eyebrows. Yeah, it's a recipe for just people loving you because everyone loves her so much. Make sure your home defense is armed, please, as well. Oof. She's coming for all of us. But here's the thing. There was some other big news this weekend. I don't know if you saw, following a poll on X that got nearly 2 million votes, Mr. Information himself, Alex Jones, returned to the platform on behalf of Elon Musk, pardoning him for his past crimes. I like it. I do like it. He jumped into a Twitter space with some of the biggest celebrities out there, hosted by Mario Nafal. Elon Musk attended. Alex Jones was there. And the first thing Elon Musk asked him, I need you to talk about this whole Sandy Hook shooting thing. Tell me what happened in the simplest ways possible so that the millions of people listening to this Twitter space right now can understand it. Alex Jones did. Elon Musk accepted it. What did he say? He basically said that he had made some commentary on it. The commentary went away for over half a decade. And then it is an attempt to stop Alex Jones at the height of where he was being, you know, a part of a, a national normalcy of where people get their news. Mm -hmm. All of the mainstream press and all of the social media applications started literally saying that Alex Jones is the reason why this attack happened, denied that the people died and is responsible for the pain that the families are suffering through now. Mm. 
And he had to pay a shit ton of money to the families, right? He essentially had to pay like a trillion dollars. I think they knocked it down to like 80 million. Oh, thanks. But here's the thing. So they're all in this space. Businessman, entrepreneur, mm-hmm. man with the coolest 50 slick back. Vivek Ramaswamy jumps in. Nice. They're all bullshitting. It was a pretty good space. So they they segue on something. Vivek says he's going to go eat or he's got something to do, but he's staying in the space because he wants to continue to participate. He supposedly puts it on mute, doesn't. Things take a turn for the worse. Did you hear what happened, Noah? Yeah, he was uh, piddling. <laughs> Want to hear it? Yeah, sure. Why not? All right, let's check it out. All right, we're seeing that Vivek has a pee tape. Let's first listen. You know, humans in America, humans... And everywhere else. Phone open in the bathroom. Yeah, that's Vivek. Vivek, that's your phone, Vivek. I'm not able to mute you. <laughs> All right. So you were talking to Musk and a bunch of other characters, and you go to the bathroom. Well, they did say it was a live stream, Jesse. I guess, but uh, I'll say that. Uh, <laughs> good for him. We're all human. Good for we're him. all human, is what I'll say. Elon and I have had some good conversations, and he and I had, I think, a laugh out of that one coming out of <laughs> it. So he good. wished me for feeling better. I told him that I was. We're all human beings and uh, it was a good two-hour discussion on x which is officially i could say that apparently is now very much censorship free all right well so this p tape not funded by hillary clinton <laughs> it was just or done organically by vivek ramaswamy good luck in new hampshire and everywhere we appreciate you joining prime time glad you're safe and you're relieved thank you that was coming off the commentary i don't know if you heard no someone had made terroristic threats against vivek ramaswamy and his, his family yesterday that person was arrested before they could do anything to him, but, you know, Jesse Waters kind of segued there to talk about the Twitter space as part of the outro, and I thought it was pretty funny. You know, I heard it in real time. It kind of loosened the mood of Alex Jones coming back, but when you talk about preserving that First Amendment right and free speech, I mean, we all know Alex Jones got railroaded in this. He probably has said some stuff over the years that he shouldn't have said, but again... Isn't that his job? Yeah, and and when you look at, is the world a better place with people like Alex Jones providing information? You know, he sat down for a great interview with Tucker Carlson last week. It was over two hours long, and Tucker Carlson just tried to outline all the things that he predicted as far back as, like, the late 80s all the way up through the 90s and to today that have come true. Making the frogs gay? That as well. Yeah. It's just one of those things where I think the world is a better place with him in everybody's face. I, I just do. And, and that's me being biased on it because I, I like Alex Jones and, you know, I, I, shit, we've played him so many times at the end of the show, it's not even funny. <laughs> honest with you, I, I'm kind of retarded. Iconic. He's got the bottom left button. That's it. Guys, last call today, wherever you're listening to Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, make sure you're following the Steak for Breakfast podcast on any of those platforms. And that's downloading to your electronic device. And then on social media is Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast account. Follow it. Hit the notification bell. While you're at it, give the show a five-star rating. Write a review. Share the podcast with your friends. Very interesting how sometimes we'll get over 100,000 shares on a show or, you know, one of the promotions that we put out there on social media. doesn't necessarily transpire into downloads. Share it with your enemies. That's it. You know, just... Go on their phones and follow the podcast. Give it a five-star review. <laughs> you might red pill them. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things where we always need your help to expand the listenership of our show because as our voice continues to expand, it just amplifies the voice that you have as our listenership as well. I do want to check out some polling numbers as we're segueing here and getting ready to jump into, you know, just exactly what's going on in some of this presidential primary stuff. The DeSantis campaign had harped 
at great lengths that there is an Iowa caucus poll that comes out and it, is, it should be the only one, the Des Moines registers Iowa poll that should be looked at. All the other polls are fake and all the other polls are gay. Well, the Des Moines registered Iowa poll came out yesterday, Noah. No surprises here. Donald Trump, 51%. Ron DeSantis, 19 Nikki Haley, 16 Vivek Ramaswamy, 5 Chris Christie, 4 Ada Asa Hutchinson, 1 Margin of error, 4.4. Donald Trump is above the margin of if Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy combine their forces, still wouldn't beat Donald Trump according to this poll here. There was also a mega, mega poll. Ooh. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that in one second. Morning consult from this morning. Actually, we'll touch on it right now. Republican primary states, 26 states. This is for the entire month of November. Iowa, Donald Trump's at 50%. Next nearest is 18. That's Ron DeSantis. Florida, even worse for Ron DeSantis. Donald Trump, 60%. Ron DeSantis, 23. Nevada, more of the same. Donald Trump, 67%. Meatball, 10. South Carolina, Trump is at 57. Nikki Haley's at 19. Ron DeSantis, a distant third at 13%. Donald Trump's winning by 71% in California, 69% in Texas. He's up 66% to his next nearest challenger at 14% in the swing state of Georgia. Illinois, Indiana, all over 60%. Kentucky, 72% for Donald Trump, 12% for Ron DeSantis. Louisiana, almost identical, 75% for Donald Trump. DeSantis, 9, Haley, 7. Maryland, Donald Trump, 62%. Next nearest contender, 13. Big swing state of Michigan, Donald Trump, 65%. Ron DeSantis sits at 13, and it goes on and on. You talk about all of these states. It's just an absolute embarrassment for the rest of these people. And for what they're doing right now, it's going to go down in history as one of the biggest scumbag jobs in, in conservative politics, if not all of politics as, in, as a whole. Because getting out and getting behind a candidate seems to be the only way that Donald Trump has a fair advantage against Joe Biden. Anything otherwise, Donald Trump's going to have to do all the work himself. CNN was both coping and seething over Donald Trump's dominance, especially in Iowa. They played it yesterday as the poll came out. Let's hear it. Brand new this morning, Donald Trump makes polling history. In the new Des Moines Register poll of Republican caucus goers, Donald Trump now holds a 32-point lead at 51%, the biggest lead ever at this point. CNN's Jeff Zeleny is joining us right now. Jeff, uh, the former president gaining support despite the multiple criminal cases against him. Uh, Good morning, Frederica. Look, five weeks before the Iowa caucuses open this uh, Republican presidential nominating uh, process, Donald Trump is stronger than ever. You can see the numbers right there. 51% That is just crossing the threshold for a majority of support. Uh, Nikki Haley, who's been rising in other states, really uh, has been uh, stable or flatlining a bit in Iowa. And the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis, of course, has increased a touch. When you take a look inside the reason why this might be, take a look at this number. I'm really focused on this this morning. 63% of first-time Iowa caucus goers are supporting the former president. What that means is this. That means that his campaign is in a much stronger position than it was eight years ago when they were just sort of struggling to organize. Now they are going out to find Donald Trump supporters who may not have participated in the Iowa caucuses before. It's sort of an inside process. There's a series of neighborhood meetings across the state on a Monday night in Iowa. They are going after those first-time caucus goers. So this is contributing to his rise in support. So this certainly is disappointing to some of his rivals who are also trying to expand the electorate, if you will. So far, it's expanding to Donald Trump. Mm, I like mm. that. Yeah. So, Noah, uh, the numbers in between the numbers there is what he just said. 
63% of first-time caucus goers have already committed to vote for Donald Trump. Now, there may be some people there. I mean, the Iowa caucus is a big deal. You know, you got the Iowa State Fair. You got these candidates coming like two years in advance trying to make a stake for their claim into Iowa and their vote. But here's the deal. First-time caucus goers, you got to think an overwhelming majority of that has to be young voters. Maybe people who are hitting the voting age for the first time. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe the second time they're eligible to vote but haven't voted before. There's a lot of people that just haven't voted yet. This might be their year. You want to talk about the way that Donald Trump has ran his campaign, the job that Susie and Chris Lasavita and all the rest of his team has done. Noah, does it look good now that Donald Trump shows up at UFC fights where it's all young people, essentially, younger people, that demographic of probably 18 to 45? overwhelming majority of the audience loves them. Does it make a lot more sense now that Donald Trump goes down to South Carolina and walks out to the 50 yard line with governor there, uh, Greg McMaster during the halftime of the Palmetto bowl. And is warmly received by an overwhelming majority of the audience there. I would have to think college football game goers have to be in that age demographic too of 18 to 45 overwhelming majority, uh, you know, of the people in attendance. They've done the right things up to this point to make sure that Donald Trump is out there with the people who are coming back or coming in for the first time to support him and give him that extra padding he needs to make his third candidacy for the Republican nomination a no-brainer. I just think you can't, um, you have to look at the little things and you have to give credit where credit is due. Fox and Friends reacted to Nikki Haley surpassing Ron DeSantis. As we all know, as many people are, a lot of the mainstream apparatus, damn, I'm saying a lot today. Yeah, stop that. Has abandoned the meatball. And left him looking sad. There's like a new meme of like Ron DeSantis is like a Cabbage Patch Kid. He's so awkward looking. It's weird. The healeth one. (sighs) Donald Trump also put out a heater about Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis on True Social. Let's hear this first and then we'll see the president's message. You mentioned Ron DeSantis. In this Wall Street Journal poll, Ron DeSantis ties Mm -hmm. Joe Biden. But Nikki Haley... Beats Joe Biden by 17. I think the story of Ron DeSantis is, is cl- quickly coming to an end right here. Yeah. Because she is eclipsing him. Yeah. Although he says there's surprises in Iowa. Oh, he's kill in me. Old 99 County. He's got the governor. Uh, he's got that uh, evangelical leader, Bob Vanderplatz. Yeah, well, don't count him right. out. It might not be this year oh. or next year. Oh. But in the future, he's still young. Oh. Oh. Well, so a, lot of, a lot of people they say that. Say. Uh, oh. They like Ron DeSantis, mm-hmm. but maybe oh. not right now. Anyway, new billboard Chambers. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people like Ron DeSantis. Just, just not right now. <laughs> just not right now. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. We all loved Ron DeSantis. He was in the best position for a future run at the presidency, and he would have fucking taken it. Mm-hmm. All he had to do is wait his goddamn turn, make one less trip to fucking Boot Barn, and he would have been fine. On the heels. <laughs> I like what you went with there. We're doing puns? There you go. On the heels of this reporting coming out of the Des Moines Register poll, Donald Trump put out a post on Truth Social. He also linked an NBC News article titled, I will poll. Trump surpasses 50% support ahead of the first GOP contest. Here's the post. I try not to laugh. 50% is pretty good. Where's the Nikki surge? I hear about it from the fake news media, but I don't see it in the polls or on the ground. In any event, I hope that she and DeSanctimonious are doing well and continue the same surge that they've had for the past <laughs> eight weeks. <laughs> that, you know, just to clue you all in at home, there's no surge. 
I had to do a little oppo research on the way in today. The gals over at Ruthless, or as we like to call them, Rizless. Vagina. Guess what? I'll, I'll give you, I'll paraphrase uh, how far I got into the show. First of all, they were showing complete anti-Italian-American sentiment towards Tommy Cutlets, the quarterback for the New York Giants, Tommy DeVito, whose touchdown celebration is the waving chef kish yeah. hand. They just demonized Italians on that show. If I ever saw them, I'd line them up in a straight row. I'd, I'd, I'd get the perfect outfit, tight-knit sweater, chain over the front of it. Oh, yeah. Pleated pants, winged loafers, pinky rings that make me look like I have diabetes on both fingers and ask them if they're ready for their beatings. Yeah. After they got done demonizing the entire Italian culture, I don't even know how they, nobody celebrates Columbus Day in any of their houses. They went on to go through the numbers. They kind of walked around the Fox News, the Sununu endorsement, this, that, and the other thing. And then they're like, I really have to look at who the winner of this week is. And if you just look at the numbers, although he continues to increase the former president, it has to be Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. And they're just all jerking each other. Oh, yeah, Ron DeSantis. Oh, yeah, Nikki Haley. And it's just like, guys, I understand. You got a lot of subscribers from having Megyn Kelly change your diaper. But at some point, reality is going to hit. How much longer are you going to continue to jerk off Ron DeSantis when in just five weeks it's going to be the first nail in his coffin? A week later, New Hampshire will be a second nail. A week after that, Nevada, then South Carolina, quickly heading towards Michigan, and then Super Tuesday. What are you going to do, guys, when there's nobody left except Don? When he's got 1,400 delegates either right before or definitely after Super Tuesday, essentially ending the primary. Are you going to bring Chris Christie on every week because he swears he's staying in until the GOP convention and have that as your only guest? There's always Obama movie reviews. That's the truth. They play their, their stupid-ass games on the show, too, where they like impersonate Twitter profiles of like lefty journos. Oh, that, that's, that's fun. But they're not. And, and, and that's just the thing. It, it's the continuance of promoting an alternate reality that Donald Trump is walking to this nomination, whether they like it or support him or not. You might as well get on board. They're all going to be the crying NPC face with a Ron hat or a Nikki hat or a Chris Christie hat on with the mask of a smiling NPC face on election day. And that's it. There's no other option. If I'm wrong, then I guess I wasn't cut out for the job. CNN, and we covered the debate stuff. Remember, we, we said that there was going to be two debates coming in between the Iowa caucus and the New Hampshire one. One of them was going to be ran by CNN. One of them was going to be held by a conservative outlet. Well, the GOP finally bent the knee to Donald Trump and said, you want to know what? We're not going to do debates anymore. So CNN said, fine, we'll do one in between Iowa and New Hampshire, and we'll have all the candidates there. Well, Nikki Haley announced that she's noncommittal to it, and when you look at the numbers on paper at this point, it doesn't look like Vivek Ramaswamy or Chris Christie would qualify for that debate. So at this point, it's going to be Ron DeSantis versus himself. What, what, why aren't they going to qualify? Is there, like, welterweight? Like, bantam, definitely not weight? <laughs> Donald Trump posted Sumo a picture weight. of Chris Christie in the shorts <laughs> and it was just one <laughs> sentence unfit for office with an exclamation point. He looks so awkward. He looks like he looks like a Humpty Dumpty about to fall over the edge of the wall. There's there's a picture of Chris Christie when he played in the celebrity baseball game and his man knuckle is all eating his baseball pants. I always mm. zoom in on it, and whenever there's, like, a really bad well, hit. Well, that's a weird thing to say. I know. I put the that as, like, in the comments as my comment. Oh, I thought you meant your 
like phone background or something. No, <laughs> definitely not my screensaver. <laughs> the official spokesman for Golden Corral. Ew. So that's it. Now you could probably make a lucrative business doing that, though. And guys, I want to remind everybody that's listening. Colonel Douglas McGregor, probably Tucker Carlson's favorite guest, is going to be joining us in just a moment. Before we get to him, in our last audio clip of the day, we heard some of the Blacks for Trump caucus out on the streets of New York through the five boroughs recently hyping up Donald Trump, shitting on Joe Biden, and everybody else in the primary. Is that different than the T-shirt you have? The N-word for Trump shirt? (laughs) It's right here. I love this shirt. (laughs) They told me I wouldn't buy it. I probably won't wear it. Yeah, that's probably a good call. But I bought it. (laughs) Got to support. Ben Berkwam, who's great border correspondent, was out and about recently in the Windy City, talking to some of the average citizens out there on the street, gauging kind of the political climate and seeing what, what, what the real voice of the American people is dialed into right now, your ears might be a little bit shocked to hear some of these responses. Let's check it out. In minds that makes them believe that they'll do this to us and we do nothing in return. This is not just for Chicago for us. We've reached all across the country to send them a message. We're going to flip America red. We're going to send the strongest message to the Democratic Party that black America, black Chicago uh, 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 has ever seen. Or should I say Democrat Chicago and Democratic Mm. America has ever seen. Black America is about to rise up now that we are the mothers and fathers. We're saying Trump 2024 across America for uh, for black America. Absolutely shocking to me to hear this. You know, you go into these liberal strongholds and you think that these people are just taking it in stride, part of the beatdown that they get from the liberal policies, from the rampant crime, the drugs everywhere, the amounts of illegal aliens getting dumped into their communities, taking away their rec centers. Wait, that's a stronghold? That sounds like a shithole. Well, it is Chicago. Shitcago. It's not as shitty as San Francisco. Ooh. (laughs) Thank you. I see what you did there. We're going to get off of that. But, But getting back onto this, listen, Donald Trump in 2020 garnered 8% of the African-American vote. A lot of the pollsters right now are predicting he's over 20. Oh, he's doing way better now. If Donald Trump is in the high teens, low 20s in 2024 as actual votes, which is the demographic of the African-American community, you're talking about one of the biggest electoral landslides. Don't Let's not forget, you've got Joe Biden disenfranchising the entirety of the Jewish community in the United States. You've Yeesh. got Joe Biden completely circumventing the immigration system. You don't think that pisses off the Latino community across this country. You've got young voters who have to deal with their lives in danger every day, going to school, walking through their neighborhoods. And like that guy said, young voters are now parents. This is something different. And the more that people fail to buy into the narrative that the real pulse of the American people right now are getting behind the movement that is America first and Donald Trump is their candidate, the more you're just being shoveled a big heap and helping of fake news. Guys, we're getting ready to jump in with retired U.S. Army colonel and former advisor to the Secretary of Defense, Colonel Douglas McGregor. Before we do that, let's check in with one of our partners. It's an unpleasant truth that 42% of Americans are obese and 79% of Americans are overweight. That's practically one in every two Americans living day to day with every minute counting down to the end of an unhealthy existence. It's time to change that and make Americans healthy again. You've probably heard about weight loss injections that can help you get back into that right mindset and help curb those cravings so you can focus on what's really important. New Hope Wellness has changed thousands of lives and maybe it can change yours too. They are American family owned and operated with the goal of saving lives. 
With convenient telehealth options, you can speak to a licensed professional from the comfort of your own home, and all products are delivered discreetly to your front door. Visit newhopewellness.com forward slash state and start your journey to a better you. That's newhopewellness.com forward slash state to get your free consultation and 100 bucks off your first order. 1-800-527-2150. Make America healthy again. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's obviously one of our favorite guests, retired Army Colonel Douglas McGregor. Welcome back to the show. Hey, happy to be here. Happy to see you. you got a little bit of a uh, festive background going in there. Ooh, that's and, a nice dream. Yeah, it's kind of getting me in the season's greetings right here. How are you doing, Colonel? Well, we still celebrate Christmas, you know. It, it hasn't been banned yet here. Well, we still say it on the show as well. So we've we've had a lot of developments going on since the last time we talked to you, as is the case with just about everything going on in, in Joe Biden's world and, and, yeah. and the mess he's made of it. I, I think I want to start off with uh, probably one of your least favorite European dictators. Vladimir Zelensky was up on Capitol Hill yesterday pandering for more funding and aid, quietly behind closed doors, threatening, you know, obviously – oh, Vladimir Putin's going to win and you're going to have to send U.S. sons and daughters over to Eastern Europe to defend it. This is all stuff that months and months ago you were predicting would be happening as the war seems to be, you know, just about at that. You can't get much more into the throngs of defeat than Ukraine is right now. They're fortifying defensive positionings. They're moving back. The only weaponry they have is long range. They have no troops, and the troops they do have are around 45 years old as, as, as the national average there. How, how do you see this thing shaping up? And it still seems like Joe Biden is extremely reluctant to take the W on this, especially after what happened in Afghanistan. Where do we go from here? Well, I'm waiting for Zelensky to release uh, his stash of Epstein tapes <laughs> as an as a act of revenge against the Biden administration in Washington for not continuing to support him. Yeah, that would be perfect. Yeah, and the other thing is I think we're going to see that Mr. Zelensky uh, escapes Sometime in the near future, he'll get on an aircraft that we probably provide, fly somewhere, change airplanes, and ultimately end up in the United States. Uh, I suspect he'll be given some sort of villa in Florida or somewhere where it's warm and sunny and he'll have Secret Service protection, at least until somebody with a brain wakes up and says no more. Uh, he's, you know, he's, uh, he's the puppet who served loyally the interests of the regime that wanted wanted to destroy Russia. And unfortunately, the regime failed. They didn't know what the hell they were doing. You know, Biden never knew what he was doing. Congress doesn't know what it's doing. They want to spend money, as much money as possible, particularly on defense. And that money finds its way back into their pockets in many ways. Uh, but beyond that, they had no strategy. They just kept talking about harming Russia, destroying Russia. Well, the only thing they've done is destroy Ukraine. They've helped to kill Probably, uh, I would say at this point, over 500,000 Ukrainian soldiers. I don't know how many Ukrainian civilians have died. Certainly not as many as we're seeing killed in Gaza, but a substantial number. And uh, what are we going to do? I mean, how do you put a, a happy face on the dead rat? I think that's the question. <laughs> no, And there's no way to do true. it. So they're going to lie and continue to lie. And the rest of the world knows the truth. We We look ridiculous. We're weak. We threw everything we had at the Russians, and we lost. Now, how is this a win for America? It's a it's a strategic disaster. And I think Ukraine is on, or excuse me, uh, NATO is on life support. It won't last. And I think the Europeans are going to eventually discover they're better off on their own, charting their own course, finding their own way forward. Yeah, and as you see the the rise of populist leaders across 
the world essentially uh, gaining steam and getting into office. You, you might just be onto something there, Colonel. I would never say that you're wrong in any of your projections here because as far as I, I know, you know, essentially I can't think of anything that you've really been wrong on. And, and the sad part about it is I see so many people in the mainstream media running with your narratives from six months ago as they're like breaking news. And I'm like, you want to know what? I know exactly where I heard that. Oh, it was on my own show when we had Colonel McGregor on. It just seems that they don't have the time or, or, or want to be, you know, deemed wrong to have you on. And, and then here you are projecting a lot of the things that actually came to fruition all the way up and through now where it looks like Russia isn't going to lose anything. Obviously, they've gained a lot of ground, and historically they're going to be you know extending their backyard much further than it was uh, before the start of this conflict. Now, you, you know you, you mentioned what's going on in, in Hamas right now, and it seems like as part of Joe Biden's disastrous foreign policy, they have really pinned the arm of the Israelis behind their backs in regards to taking care of the military operations that they want to, you know, be able to conclude. And that's with the extermination of the Hamas militant side uh, of the people that are living in Gaza and, and of all the Palestinians. Now, at the end of the day, listen, nobody wants the killing to stop more than, than we do here. But how do we get to some kind of a resolution to where the fighting stops, maybe parts of Hamas survives. I mean, obviously their main leadership lives out of country, but then, you know, Joe Biden now is talking about how he's going to try and force Israel to have the Palestinian Authority come back in and govern over Hamas and Gaza uh, post-conflict <clears throat> post here. It just seems like it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I don't think our, our uh, you know, Secretary of Defense and the Defense Department have a very good moral compass or direction right now, but how do you see this thing shaking up? Well, first of all, I don't think uh, anything Biden says or... Uh, advocates makes any difference to anybody in israel <laughs> yeah uh, he's irrelevant uh mr netanyahu is president in washington uh he is going to get whatever he wants and that's what he has been getting uh there's no evidence at all that we have acted to restrain him or that we can restrain him the only thing that uh could restrain him would be cutting off the limitless quantities of ammunition and technologies that we send over there that he's using in Gaza. So right now, I would say that this this particular conflict has moved beyond uh, what the Israelis originally talked about, which was restoring deterrence. In their minds, you restore deterrence by killing the opposition and doing enough damage that they will reconsider the wisdom of ever repeating the behavior. We're long past that point. We're, we're closing in on uh, over 18,000 dead in Gaza. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you can look at the 6,000 dead children, along with the uh, thousands of women and families and so forth. And anybody who thinks that that's helping Israel, including the Israelis, is, of course, deranged. That's not helping Israel at all. But I think this war has changed. It's changed both in Israel and it's changed in the region. If you're an Arab, a Turk, or an Iranian, and you look at what's going on, you hear that you are an animal and subhuman and therefore richly deserve to be destroyed, you conclude that you are fighting Israel, which is bent on a war of Jewish supremacy in the region. And I can tell you that the one thing that the people that live in the Near East will never accept, it's Jewish supremacy over the Middle East. So even if you said to Mr. Netanyahu, well-intentioned, but you need to be replaced. We need to take a different path. I don't think they can do it. I think, in fact, Mr. Netanyahu's next move is to start a war against Hezbollah. Now, some people would argue, well, they, they've been at a low 
level of war up in the north anyway. Well, that's true. But I'm talking about an all-out war once he's convinced that Gaza is effectively flattened, most of its population is expelled or dead, then I think he will turn on Hezbollah. And when he does that, he has us sitting offshore, and we've promised to support him with the use of our air and naval power if necessary. That inevitably leads to war with Iran. And remember that you have large numbers of people in Washington who've been trying to bring us into war with Iran for decades. Correct. I mean, you talk about Lindsey Graham or Blumenthal or, you know, Schumer certainly isn't going to stand in the way or Mitch McConnell also, oh, this is wonderful. The problem with this whole Iranian war business is that once Iran is dragged into this, and they will not be dragged in unless he absolutely attacks Hezbollah with the intent to do to Hezbollah what he's already done in Gaza, then Iran will come in. Once they come in and we strike at Iran, Russia will come into this conflict, but they, they will not allow Iran to be destroyed. That will also signal to all of the other Muslim states that they too now must fight. And we need to understand that none of the governments in the Middle East right now, Iranian, Turkish, Arab, doesn't matter. None of them want to fight a war. They're not interested in it. They'd like to avoid it. It doesn't matter anymore. The hundreds of millions of Muslims living in these countries now want war. And they are effectively mirroring the Israeli position. The Israeli position is, you're an animal. You deserve to be destroyed. They have now adopted that position vis-a-vis Israel. And they will not submit to Jewish supremacy in the Middle East. So I I don't see any good news on the horizon, and I think we're going to see things continue to escalate. I think this war may go through short periods of pauses or temporary ceasefires, but ultimately I think by the spring this is going to explode and become a regional conflict. One of the things we have to keep in mind is we've just been through a regional conflict, and we don't have the military wherewithal to weigh into this conflict in the Middle East the way we'd like to. In other words, we're severely weakened. And Ukraine weakened us not only in material terms, but also strategically around the world. The news is clear and unambiguous. We're not that good. If we were that good, Ukrainians would have won, right? It's the truth. This is the mentality. You gave the Ukrainians everything. You promised them. You gave them everything. You said they'd win, and look what's happened. And I wouldn't stand around and wait for anyone to show up to help us in the Middle East. On the contrary, I think we're very much on our own with Israel. And I don't know how Israel gets out of the predicament that it's in. I don't think the Israelis can kill their way out. But the fact that they have demonstrated their willingness to try has now made this a a war of existential proportions and dimensions for everyone living in the region who is a Muslim. I, I call that sort of thing a strategic disaster, and I blame this administration for allowing it to occur. Oh, that's the truth right there, you know, and, and when you just look at the basics, I mean, for what Israel is doing now, and, and, and again, we would like this conflict to stop, but anything they do post-conflict looks like an L. It's either, uh, you know, components of Hamas survive and, and, and are able to revive the movement that they've got going on in Gaza previous to October 7, or as the Biden administration is kind of pushing now, they want to bring the PLA back to the table, which historically would be an L because it's not one of those things that, you know, that's what Israel got away from 
years ago with the two-state solution failing over and over and over again. Colonel, last thing I want to touch with you on briefly, you know, you mentioned Iran. It's so weird to me how these people and their the historical bloodlust between Jews and Arabs continues to ramp on. But but here's the deal. You know, Iran has struck the United States and its proxies through their proxies almost 100 times since the uh, Israel counterattack to the October 7th attacks began. Now, you know, for everyone that's you don't have to look too far back to see what happened in Iraq during the war there with the coalition allies and, and the removal of Saddam Hussein. Millions of Iraqis just erased from the earth. With the premise of that going on there, and we know Iran is led by like a ruthless, bloodthirsty dictatorship, how can they think in even some context that a, a war of any kind of magnitude wouldn't lead to not only death and despair for all their people, but essentially throw the region into chaos and for how much internal problems they've had over the years, especially during the Trump administration, where he nearly choked them into an internal revolution, they could come out winners in all of this. Well, I don't know. I mean, when you start talking about winners and losers in, a, in the kind of war that I see unfolding in the spring, uh, you're going to have a tough time convincing me that there are anything but losers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Iran isn't going to profit dramatically, I suspect, one way or the other. Uh, and I don't think the Iranians want a war. Uh, you know, these so-called proxy forces, the Shiite militias, remember, they helped us to destroy ISIS. Right. They fought shoulder to shoulder with us. It was in their interest to do so. It was our interest to to cooperate with them. It worked. But no one in Iraq, no one in Syria thinks we have any business being there. And you know what? They're right. Mm-hmm. We should have gotten out of there. Donald Trump wanted us out of there in 2019. Correct. And, and he was lied to by people in the Pentagon and the State Department saying, oh, yeah, we're, we're doing that. We're doing that. We're doing that. Only to discover the opposite was the case. He was subverted, misled, and defeated. So here we sit. We have these forces on the ground there. They're almost impossible to protect effectively if the Turks, the Iranians, and the Arabs really want to destroy them. The other thing is, if anything, the Iranians have been trying to restrain all of the Shiite Arabs, the Houthis down in Yemen. The rest of the river says, well, Iran, Iran, Iran. Uh, Iran is, as you point out, the last thing they need is a war. Their economy is not in the best of shape. They're trying to recover from all these years of sanctions. The population certainly doesn't want it. And that's a quick way for this regime to go out of business. But that doesn't mean the follow-on or successor regime will be any less nationalistic or necessarily friendly to us. Uh, Again, there are consequences to our actions. You pointed out the millions of people whose lives were destroyed in Iraq. What about Libya? Truth. You know, what What about what's happened in Syria? We actually backed al-Qaeda and, and its friends like al-Nusra against Assad in Damascus because the Israelis don't like Assad. Right. Well, Assad is a, a renaissance man next to ISIS and the rest of these thugs and criminals. So we, we haven't had a coherent, intelligent approach to the region for years. So all I see right now is that we're, we're a ship that's got a broken uh, rudder. We have nobody on the bridge, and it's like a a giant old battleship that's just sort of swaying back and forth and going with the flow. And the flow is going to take us into bad, bad territory. And no one seems to be willing to stand up and say, wait a minute, halt. We need to reconsider everything we are doing because we are the ones who will ultimately suffer in the long run from all of these disasters in Ukraine and the Middle East. Our economy beneath the surface is in ruins. The financial system seems to keep us on life support and keep things running. But if that implodes, and that's a, 
a real possibility in the near future. You could pick up James Ricards or Alistair McLeod or Lynn Holden, any of these people, and start reading what they're telling you. You're not going to hear much of it on the mainstream, obviously, but they're right. Truth. We're in a lot of trouble. You, you know, you just don't do stupid things that lead to conflict and war when you're not prepared for it. We're not prepared. And we haven't even talked about the armed forces. No, oh, I mean, you look at those recruitment numbers, all-time lows, lots of open-ended questions. The, I guess the only good thing we could say here and heading into the holiday season is that shortly after New Year's, Colonel, we'll be most likely having you back on the show to kind of fill us in on all the latest developments and talk about, you know, next time you're on with us, we definitely want to talk about some of the uh, big problems they're having in the Department of Defense and national recruiting apparatus as well. We're going to be live linking your website and obviously your YouTube channel in the show description today. But for anyone that's following you on social media, we'll make sure to live link your handles as well. We want to thank you for coming on and providing this excellent commentary like you always do. We consider you a great friend of the show here, Colonel. We wish you and your family the very merriest of holiday seasons. This is the retired U.S. Army Colonel, combat veteran, SecDef advisor, author, provides the absolute fire commentary when he joins us on Steak for Breakfast. Colonel McGregor, thanks for coming on. Have a Merry Christmas. Thank you, and don't forget the open borders. Busy way to start the week, but I think we nailed it, Noah. Nailed it. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and now want to hear the 299 other editions of the show, you better be downloading us across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Follow the account. Make sure it's downloading to your electronic device and help out the podcast grow. In addition, on social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram, find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow them, and hit the notification bell. We want to thank all of our guests for coming down and sharing with us today. Former Chief of Staff to Capitol Hill, Jim Paff, Official Spokeswoman for Make America Great Again, Inc., Ms. Caroline Levitt, Tennessee Representative Andy Ogles, Montana Congressman Matt Rosendale, and the retired U.S. Army Colonel Douglas McGregor. You guys all helped make steak great again. Guys, we're in the midst of the holiday season, but don't worry. We take no days off, and we'll be back with an all-new Friday edition of the show. Absolute heater as always. Representative Ben Klein will be joining us. Conservative consultant Dave Rubin will be here. Former Secretary of the Interior David Bernhardt will be joining us as well, and we'll sit down with Utah U.S. Senatorial Candidate Mayor Trent Staggs again. So on behalf of the entire pod team, I'm Roan. Noah, later. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week, and take care. Constitution is nothing but a license for oil companies and foreign interests to destroy my beloved Wadia. Wadia will remain a dictatorship. Oh. <laughs> Woo! Or oh, be quiet. Why are you guys so anti-dictators? Imagine if America was a dictatorship. You could let 1% of the people have all the nation's wealth. You could help your rich friends get richer by cutting their taxes and bailing them out when they gamble and lose. You could ignore the needs of the poor for healthcare and education. Your media would appear free, but would secretly be controlled by one person and his family. You could wiretap phones. You could torture foreign prisoners. You could have rigged elections. 
You could lie about why you go to war. You could fill your prisons with one particular racial group and no one would complain. You could use the media to scare the people into supporting policies that are against their interests. I know this is hard for you Americans to imagine, but please try. I will tell you what democracy is. Democracy is the worst. Endless talking and listening to every stupid opinion and everybody's vote counts, no matter how crippled or black or female they are. Democracy...